Welcome everyone to Davos Fingers episode 69, Oral Manipulation. I'm Scad, and with me as always is Matt. Hey guys, how's it going tonight? Uh, let's talk about what we're reading. So we're still covering A Feast for Crows and A Dance with Dragons. We're reading them together in that special reading order developed by Game of Owns, which is called A Feast with Dragons. You can find it on our website, DavosFingers.com, or A Feast with Dragons. Dot com. But that being said, for the next few episodes now, we are going, uh, what is it that Nick Offerman calls it? Uh, full bush into a dance <laughs> with dragons. <laughs> We've actually only got one more chapter in A Feast for Crows. And in this reading order, it's not till closer to the end of the reading order. Yeah. So, Dance with Dragons for a while. It's a significantly bigger book than A Feast for Crows, so we got to fill in some chapters there. So in this episode, all in A Dance with Dragons, we're going to be reading The Blind Girl, A Ghost in Winterfell, Tyrion 10, Jamie 1, and John 10. That's chapters 45 through 49. Okay? Uh, let's see here, Skad. We have got quite a little tournament going on right now, don't we? <laughs> and we do. We really do. So for those of us who maybe aren't on Twitter, right now we are doing our annual A Song of Madness tournament. It's where we pick, I think we talked about this a little bit on the last episode, but we pick 64 A Song of Ice and Fire characters, and then we pit them in e against each other in kind of a tournament uh, challenge type deal where we model it a little bit after the March Madness Tournament, a little. It's completely modeled after the March Madness Basketball Tournament here in the United States. Uh, but it's with a Song of Ice and Fire characters. And so every day we have these matchups that take place. And then on Twitter, you can go in and vote for the matchups that you want to see win. And it's always an event that seems to, I don't know, it feels like it grows bigger and bigger every year. That's what she said. Mm -hmm. uh, and man, it, this year has not disappointed, right? Yeah, and not just bigger, just... I don't. I feel like I don't know. Maybe it's not true, but I feel like this year we're getting more in-depth discussion about some of the matchups. Hmm. I mean, there was a thread a few days ago where several people, Pat, I think, and Emmett, several, were jumping in and just kind of laying down the case for Stannis, right? And of and just course, kind of very eloquently, all on Twitter, which is like, it's you know, it's fun. It's a great way to do this because it's. It's so easy to interact, but it's also like the worst way to catalog information. You know what I mean? But but everybody's just being like so giving with with uh, with their opinions and uh, pretty much avoided any really really bad arguments this year so far. I think it's been pretty great. That's what I was gonna say. I felt like last year, and maybe it was just how I was perceiving it, but it seemed like we had almost like some hurt feelings and some tense situations at times. Um, Nothing too serious, but uh, this year it's been all just, seems like it's all good. Uh, just a lot of people getting on and chatting about the same thing. And I don't know, for me, the tourney is fun. It's fun to vote for people, but it's it's everyone coming together and just having a good time and talking about something we love uh, and seeing, you know, hundreds of people vote in these things. Uh, we're regularly eclipsing a thousand votes per matchup. Yeah, and, regularly. And... So many different people are commenting, and we get those those luminaries who are kind of really well-known in the A Song of Ice and Fire fandom that are participating. You get those that just like to read the books and enjoy them. They're participating. You get people that just watch the show, and they're participating. And Damn I think them. it's 
uh, screw that. Come on, that's fine. I love all of them. And, uh, you know, that's kind of how Davos Fingers is supposed to be, right? It's supposed to be about community. Irreverence and, and fun. Irreverence and, and lighthearted. Yeah, yeah, that's the whole reason we started this podcast was just be friends that could talk about stuff that we love. Yeah. And so this is kind of just an extension of that. And You're not being very cool. friendly, though. You have taken the troll... <laughs> You have taken the troll role to a whole other level this year. I don't. It's I don't so feel like you did fun. this last year. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> You're just like <laughs> relishing in the pain that people, the anguish, and maybe that's part of what's keeping it so lighthearted. I don't know, but uh... I, I, it just seemed like a fun way to do it. You take it more seriously than it needs to be. But yeah, if someone is like, "This is such a hard choice," I just say like, "Good," or something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. One of my favorites was somebody said, "I'm done with this," and you were like. You might be done with it, but it's not done with you. <laughs> Those are my favorites. Yeah, if they say, oh, I don't know how to choose. I finally picked so-and-so, and I'll comment and say, now you have to live with the regret for the <laughs> yeah. rest of your life. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, we don't have to talk about it forever, uh, but yep. I did want to mention my boy, Gendry, who pulled off a huge upset sometime around like 1 o'clock in the afternoon, uh, and these things end at like 7 in the morning the following day. Mm-hmm. So like some so you know we're like eight hours into it or so seven maybe six hours into it or so, and Gendry was down like I think it was sixty six forty four, or sorry which in these polls if it's a lot if you're in the forties there's very little chance that I mean low forties you're pretty much done if you're in the forty it's... if you're in the low forty mid low to mid forties by mid afternoon, the writing is on the fucking wall. Mm-hmm. And it was against Tywin, who generally does well in these tournaments. Yeah, he generally does pretty well. And it just felt like this, uh, I like, I voted for Gendry personally because he's just a, a favorite of mine. But I generally would vote for Tywin. I think he's a very complicated and a character that brings a lot to the story, like a lot of conflict and a lot of a lot of energy to the story. And so I generally do vote for him. But But in this case, like... This this groundswell just seemed like to come from nowhere. <laughs> like all of a sudden, everybody's like, "No, vote for Gendry." Like we're gonna do this, and like all of a sudden, like point by point, he just crept up, and finally, I don't know, sometime around midnight, I think he took the lead. Yeah, it was, it was late crazy. at night, and he held on to it throughout the night and into the morning, and he ended up edging uh, Tywin. It was an yeah. upset. Gendry was, awesome. was ranked forty three, Tywin twenty two. Yeah, and uh, Gendry goes on. His next matchup is against Rob Stark. So, yeah, that'll be interesting. That'll be. I a mean, good I'm sure one. it'll get trounced, but we'll see. <sighs> yeah. And we'll we know had... by by the time this episode releases, guys, because mm-hmm. this will release, I think, on April 2nd, which I think is the day that this tournament ends. So, congratulations to whoever our winner is. <laughs> Got a prediction <laughs> no for us, Matt? Uh, I think Davos is going to take it this year. Do you? I think he's. I think he's going to win. Yep. Who do you got? Davos is a good pick. Uh, I'm going to go with Arya this year. Yeah, she'd pro- she's in my top three. Yeah. Um, let's see. We had a couple other, just real quick. Uh, Theon Greyjoy out in the first round. Yeah. Um, edged 51-49 to 49 against the Blackfish. Yep. Who goes on to face Sam Tarly. Um, our first and only vote-off that we've had this year where it ended in a tie and we did a one-hour speed vote-off. Uh, Victorion Greyjoy beat Peter Baelish. Who would yeah, imagine that would have gone to a tie? Yeah. Yep. 
Um, but he beat him 51 to 49, so only barely. Yep. Uh, with uh, and he goes on to face Pod, so it's been fun. Cersei uh, yeah. was out in the first round too, losing to Oberyn Baric. as well, right? Oberyn lost. Yeah, it's Usually been does uh, well. it's been interesting. Yeah, so. been a weird, weird, weird year. Just like the regular tournament, a weird year. Anyway, we'll move on. Uh, if you're not on Twitter. Uh, well, it'll be over by the time you hear this episode, so don't go join now. But maybe next year. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, next ne- next announcement. So I, I, we've said a couple times uh, I'm going to Ice and Fire Con. Uh, there at the end of April, uh, April 27th, I believe is is the first day. Hmm. Uh, if you're going, uh, shoot me a little message, uh, Twitter, Facebook, email. Just let me know you're going to be there so I can look out for you because. I know there's a handful, but uh, I just want to—I just want to make sure I look out for you and say hi. If, if uh, you guys listen to the podcast and want to say hi, I'd like to love to talk to you. So uh, let me know. Let me know if you're there. Wasn't the uh, sign to tickle you on the sho- on the collarbone or something like that? I mean, you can do that if you want. Yep. I will do my best to keep my elbows down. Uh, let's see. So upcoming, we've got a special episode. We try to do these, or we've committed to do a few of these. Uh, per year for our Patreon supporters. And this time, we are working on a special episode where we are going to discuss a theory that we've been talking about, oh gosh, Scad, since we went through a Game of Thrones. Early. I think it was like episode four or five. Gotta be. The first time I remember talking about it was when we were just talking about Benjen and his his reasons for going to the wall when there were so Mm -hmm. few heirs in the Stark line at the time that he went yeah yeah it, I, yeah you're probably right it's, so it's that early benjen's introduction into the story so uh let's see so we're gonna we came up with this theory that we've just kind of been bandying about for the past three years mm-hmm. now but never have bothered to put down into any sort of organized structure and it, we basically have come to call it team john meaning that many of these characters who have kind of weird reasons for doing things up north are perhaps doing them for the sake of John. They have some sort of insight into John's destiny and what he's meant to do and so are on the path to helping him. That includes, like we said, Benjen. It could include Jaor Mormont. Like, why the heck did he go and take the black? Uh, we've talked about maybe Bloodraven and how that's going to all work out. Uh, so a few different things. And, and uh, maybe like Corrin Halfhand. So we'll... We'll dive into that. That also includes a bit of Mance yeah. Rhaegar. Yeah, right? maybe. And yeah. and also, it's so for, this is something I'm not even sure you know about yet, Matt, but as I've been thinking about it, I think it will even go back and wrap back to a little bit of coverage of, of the Tower of Joy. A little bit. I don't know how you can't. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. It's going to yeah. be fun. I We've got a lot of work to do to get ready for that. <laughs> yep. But uh, yes, we do. So look for that in the look for that in the future in in a year ending in a number. Uh, I think it'll be nearer future than further future, but it's absolutely yeah yeah. All right, I've been thinking about it a ton. I just haven't like written down a lot. And I actually, uh, you won't believe this because I've been a feet dragger on this. Uh, Probably the one holding us back more than anything. But I actually wrote wrote out a an outline, so Ooh. that includes quite a bit of stuff. Oh, so good. I'm getting there. But. 
Now, now I feel pressured. <laughs> All right. Well, good to know. All right. So moving on. I think that's the end of the episode. Uh, the uh, announcement, not the end of the episode. We're done. Good night. Uh, you got anything? Any other announcements we want to hit before we move on? Uh, nope. All right. So uh, we always, at the beginning of these episodes, we always remind you that we are spoiler-free until the end of the podcast. We do have a special segment at that time called Davos After Dark. Uh, we'll warn you when we're getting there, and when we do, we will talk all sorts of spoilers and stuff, theories, things like that, that will uncover things that we will not have read yet. So during the main part of the podcast, we only cover things up to the point we read, which is getting to the point where it's everything um, now. But Yeah, uh, no kidding. <clears throat> but uh, anyway, we'll warn you when that's coming with a nice little jingle. Yes, we will. And if you want to talk to us, reach out to us, uh, pass along theories you've thought of. We've got a few of those lately, so thanks to those who've been sending them in. They've been very interesting, and we'll be sure to respond to you on those. Yeah. Um, uh, it's, uh, suggestions for things to talk about, things that we miss or mess up on. There's been some of that lately. Uh, <laughs> or if you just want to ask us some questions, you can find us at DavosFingers.com. Our email address is WeAreDavosFingers at gmail.com. Our Twitter handle is at DavosFingers. We are on Facebook. Or you can learn more about our Patreon program at Patreon.com slash DavosFingers. Yeah, and as Matt noted, a couple mess-ups, or, or one at least, that springs to mind. Thank you to the Kalasar for jumping to our aid and uh, reminding us about Edmir's capture. Uh, we had several. I'm not. A, I, I mean, if I listed all the names, it would take five minutes. Uh, several people jump jump onto us about, uh, or jump to our aid about where Edmir and how Edmir was captured. We're pretty much the only people in the world that didn't remember that. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like specifically how it happened. Yeah. So, Battle of the Camps uh, outside of Riverrun, Edmir was captured, and then the second capture that Jamie's referring to likely is just referring to Rosalind capturing him in her thighs. Yep. Or, you know, whatever. Um. So let's move on. You ready? I'm ready. All right, let's jump into the blind girl. Arya, on the foot, horse face, sticking with the pointy end. Arya, on the foot, horse face, sticking with the pointy end. Ah. When we last left Arya, she had just gulped some funky white stuff from the kindly man and awakened the next morning blind as a bat. Cue meatloaf. We pick her up in a wolf dream, full of the sights, sounds, smells, and tastes of Westeros via Nymeria and her roving pack. Nymeria, Nymeria as Arya, I call her Armeria, is savage, feasting on lamb, dog, and even human, but it can't last, it never does, these wolf dreams. She awakes and says her prayer, noting that she shouldn't be saying it, as since that song, that prayer, belongs to Arya, and not the no-one girl she has become. She dresses and gets to her daily activities. She has a busy set of things for which she is responsible for, and she learns the ways of the House of Black and White. Arya is receiving training on how to use her senses other than her eyes, to hear, smell, taste, feel, everything in her world, to speak several languages, how to mix potions and poisons, how to lie, how to move quietly. She's kind of a ninja now, guys, basically. In exchange, the No One Girl does chores around the temple and trades in secrets that she obtains while in character as Blind Beth, a beggar who frequents various inns in the city. Straight up, I mean, it seems like a sweetheart deal to me. 
Don't get me wrong, this is not easy at first. Getting lost, burning herself, nearly falling down a flight of stairs as she learns to live without her eyes, it had been extremely difficult. But now she could tell people by their footfalls or scents, feel different airwaves on her arms. She had so much more awareness than ever before. It's so cool. Anyway, they ask her every day if she would like her eyes back, but Arya knows that asking for them means dismissal from the House of Black and White, and she isn't ready to go anywhere quite yet. As she attends to one of her many chores that day, stripping the dead of their possessions and clothes, someone enters the room. Who's there? No one. She moved quickly to her stick and brought it up to block a blow and counterattacks herself. She dances with this stranger for several swings each, not knowing who it is or why he was attacking her. He gets behind her, trips her to the ground, wraps her knuckles with his own stick, and then indicates that he is done beating her for the day. And leaves. That night, Blind Beth heads out to beg again. She takes her bowl and her stick and dresses for the part, then finds one way of the many, finds her way to one of the many available inns. Pinto's, this time, where she sometimes gets some free food and drink, but where she can always learn new things. Settling in with some wine and half an eel pie, and a cat curled up on her lap, she listens for the three new things that she must tell the kindly man the next morning. And she does get three. First, that the Sea Lord of Bravos seized a ship, the Goodheart, because it was moving slaves, not allowed in Bravos. That those slaves are from Hardholm. We know them to be the followers of Mother Mole from previous chapters. Not all of them could fit, though, so more ships from Lease will likely come to get the rest as the price of slaves is going way up, and there are thousands more still at Hardhome waiting to be saved. And the last thing she knows is that it was the kindly man that had been beating her, though she won't tell him how she knows. Our little secret, though, the cat from Pinto's followed her home. She skin-changed the cat and saw him doing it. Bam! You just got orally manipulated, kindly man. Apparently passed some, passing some tests that none of us knew she was even taking that night, she has served a different drink. It burns like fire on the way down, but in the morning, she sees a single candle flickering and wavering on her desk. The most beautiful thing she had ever seen. End of chapter. Dude. Yeah. Arya is skin-changing. Yeah. With zero training. Yeah. And it's not just little tiny glimpses like Jon Snow. Yeah. It's full-on spending the night in Nymeria. Yep. That sounded bad. (laughs) (laughs) It did, but we knew what you meant. Dang, girl. Yeah. Uh, uh, That's pretty crazy. Is. And she's been doing it for a time. Um, Uh Uh-huh. You know, she's she's like 11, maybe 12. I never know birthdays. Uh, but, you know, she's around 11 now. You know, she started these books around 9, mm-hmm. I think. And yep. uh, she was doing it in the Riverlands, right? We remember chapters where um, she knew there was a wolf around and stuff, but it wasn't it wasn't anywhere near this depth, this amount of time. This amount of time, and, and it mm-hmm. seems like this control, you know, yeah. with the cat yeah. specifically now, too. Yeah, That's and crazy. Yeah, and you you wonder whether this training she's getting is making her like because she's stronger in her other senses, like more in control mm. of herself. Like maybe yeah. that's helping her in a way that they're not even intending to help her. Things seem to have really picked up since yeah. she entered the house of black and white. So yeah. that's a that's a cool observation. 
we've talked about this before too just like how bran is the most powerful one we think um mm-hmm. and and how just like with anything in life like you're better at things when you're allowed to focus on them and like spend time on them and like oh yeah and like rob was never rob was never given a chance to like try to lead yep right he had a bunch of other things on his plate and bran is like he can't even go for a jog right so he's he's stuck in his body he wants to to get out and try and connect with things right with his mind yeah and uh here's Arya. you know i'm not saying she's bored like clearly they're giving her plenty to do but you know she's she's maybe given an opportunity to kind of reach out with her senses you know let the force flow through her if you will and uh you know here she is with some some high level success i'd say right yep and what's interesting about it though is it it doesn't seem like it it was a you know it wasn't a conscious effort that she was trying to do like bran no yeah she kind of fell into it it's kind of she fell into it and kind of i don't know figured out how it worked and or did she or or is it is it so natural to her that she didn't have to figure out anything or or maybe yeah is it even sadder you know that her heart is so hurt and longing for some level of herself that it has resorted to the only thing it thinks it can do to get that level of acceptance and that mm-hmm. that sense of home and it's reached out to Nymeria to find it that's maybe the sadder perspective to take sadder and hopeful at the same yeah, time yeah yeah sure yeah, yeah. because right. you're right she's definitely not going second time i've used this in half an hour full bush (laughs) into faceless man training or what she's being put through in the house of black and white she's definitely as Arya has always done regardless of which identity she's she's happens to be wearing on the outside she's always stayed uniquely Arya. yeah uh, which is really cool did you ever see the movie the departed nope Sounds scary. Oh no! It's it's no! It's it's like a cop thriller. Oh, okay. Uh, drama. The Departed sounds like a horror movie. It does sound like it would be. It's not. Um, okay. I don't, I don't I actually know. I've never looked up the origin of the name. I own it, and I should bring it to you along with Dogma. Uh, it, it it the what what made me think of it is one of the characters. But if, if it's about two cops mainly, I mean, there's a lot of other characters in it, but it's mainly about two cops. Mm-hmm. And one of them has gone into the police from a very young age, been groomed to go into this role to basically be a mole for for bad guys, for a version of the mafia, basically. And so he's, like you said, he's not, Arya's not in it wholeheartedly with the faceless men. Mm-hmm. He, yeah, like, he, he's been trying to game the system and set things up a certain way. He's using what they give him, all the advantages they give him, but he's doing it for his own reasons entirely, and he's able to keep them totally separate right uh-huh. and you know Arya too I, f- I feel like she's totally ga- she's an 11 year old but she's gaming them this is a thought I had you're you're absolutely right she is gaming them do you think the kindly old man is very observant and yeah very wise and he's yeah. where he is for a reason yeah do you think he's on to her at least a little bit maybe maybe and now you get into really scary stuff about like what the faceless men are really about and um, mm-hmm. We had an interesting theory come through us to the email that I haven't responded to yet because I'm a terrible podcast 
ruler. Uh, but um, just about like what the faceless men's goal really is, and um, mm -hmm. you know, th this person was just saying like the faceless faceless men hate dragons. They hate Valyria. They'll never let Danny do anything with these dragons is, is what this this email was was getting to and uh sorry mm -hmm. i've forgotten the name on the email oh, i feel awful about that anyway you've been mentioned if you remember sorry um but uh what are they doing right like maybe, maybe you're right maybe the kindly man's like you think i don't know about the fucking cat i know what you're doing i saw the cat up there looking at me cats don't look at me like that you know like maybe he knows exactly and he's just like i don't care this is a tool we're going to be able to use. Yep. And then it just becomes a matter of who knows more and who is manipulating whom, right? Mm -hmm. That's what that's what's fascinating to me. Yeah. Yeah. Is I've got a feeling she's not completely pulling the wool over the kindly old man eye, man's eyes. Yeah. He talks about how he they would have taken her eyes away anyways to help her learn her other senses, but not they usually don't do it for like six months. Yeah, and that few as young as her were blind, and I know that she's already done some things like killing Darion seemed to be the catalyst for doing this. But you know, I wonder if he's trying to in some way encourage her along or, or something. But uh, it is interesting to see and to know what's going to happen. But yeah, yeah. so let's let's delve. I know we've been talking about this for a while already, but let's delve into this for a minute because I have a note here about getting her eyes back right mm -hmm. so you think so you say and i think you're right she's been giving them giving them taking them away early right yeah she's kind of ahead of the game and they're they're escalating her her education for some reason we don't know why yep maybe just because they see potential maybe something else yeah but he the, says the quote is few as young as her were blind right yeah he says though he wouldn't give her sight back until she understands this this being we can kill people, but we don't judge them. And that <laughs> she must walk in the darkness until she sees the way. No, Matt, I'm not the sharpest dude around, but I don't understand what in this chapter demonstrated either of those things to the kindly man that prove that she understands that she's not allowed to judge people or that she sees the way now, that she doesn't have to walk in darkness anymore. I don't think she learned or showed either of those things. Hmm. It's right in this chapter, the, those those lines. For sure. Where yep. he's talking about Bravos and why when they started giving the gift and all those things. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't get it. I, I I I the faceless men thing, the whole House of Black and White from the first read through today, it's always made me uncomfortable because I don't like their rules. I don't understand their rules. I don't think their rules are consistent. And frankly, I think the whole thing is a shell game for something else. I don't like it either. And those are some notes that I made. So he's when he's when he's talking to her about their rules and everything. Um, what is it? She says something about he needed to die or deserved to die or something like that. And uh, the kindly old man says, and are you a god to decide who should live and who should die? And he said, we kill men, but we do not presume to judge them. You know, we are but death's instruments. You pointed that out already. So we are but death's instruments. Are you a god to decide who should live and who should die? 
but you guys, the faceless men, kill for money. Uh-huh. People come to you and pay you to kill them. So it's not like you're following some god's mandate to kill somebody. Yeah. Is your yeah. god money? Or do they believe that if someone gets it in their mind to kill somebody so they hire a faceless man to do it, that they are somehow inspired to do that by God? Yeah. By the gods? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so the original it's, story it's weird. In, in Valyria is yeah. that it was a dying slave who prayed. Uh-huh. He, he said he'd give anything, give up his life, basically, uh, if they would kill this other person, right? It was the first time they gave the gift not to the person requesting it for themselves. Yep. And... And at that point, it, it's a that's a sacrifice. You're not just paying for it. You're giving your life in service in exchange, right? A life for a life. We've heard that in this series before, I think. Um, with with Danny and the fires and things like that, I think. Um, a life for a life. But yep. now it's, yeah, you can just buy it for people, right? Arya earns several deaths by saving Jockin. Like, like, like you are deciding who gives death right and yeah, exactly it's it's a bit like do you, do you remember you probably do you're smarter than i am the sale of indulgences do you remember this from like history sure yeah that like you used to be able to like buy off basically buy off your sins right mm-hmm. and then eventually it got to the point where it was like i'm gonna sin later i'm gonna buy some in advance yeah that was like the sale of indulgence you could buy them ahead of time yeah you can, and like you're building up sin credit right like give yeah. me a friggin break mm-hmm. uh it's kind of like that here it's like you're you've taken this idea which was a little dark but perhaps pure a life for a life you're willing to give your life in service to the to the stranger in exchange for you know a sacrifice to take this life of someone who's you know deserves to die and again somebody does have to make that choice i assume they turned down some contracts like this person doesn't deserve to die or something i don't know who made that judgment but at some point it was a little more pure and now it's like yeah, you got an interesting. This guy's got an interesting face. We should like it on our wall. You know, we'll yeah. do it for you if you give us this much gold. <laughs> yeah, it reminded me of. Oh man, this is top three hold steady songs for me. It's called uh, "Our Whole Lives," and I just barely thought of this. This it's talking about this guy who. Well, the chorus is "We're good guys, but we can't be good every night." It's one of my favorite lines ever. Yeah, you and use it's about. Yep. Yeah, I use it. I could use it all the time. Um, but he says in one of the verses, tonight we're going to have a really good time, but I want to go to heaven on the day I die. Going to make a preemptive strike, hit the 530 mass early Saturday night, you know, <laughs> and then, you know, after that, he's going to go party. But uh-huh. the same thing. Uh-huh. Tonight we're going to have a really good time, but I want to go to heaven on the day I die. Going to make like a preemptive strike, hit the 530 mass. Saturday night. Yeah, it's it's it bothers me a lot. I mm-hmm. it I don't have I don't have anything profound to say other than I don't like their rules. I don't understand how they follow their rules consistently, and uh, they've definitely got some other game going. I don't know what it is. Yeah, and to answer your question about how she somehow fulfilled what he said she needed to fulfill. Yeah. I don't know. Because we've had so few interactions between the two of them. We've only got... Is this only the second or is it the third time that we've had 
him questioning her about the three things she's learned. If I remember I right, it's, it's only the second. I think it's the second time of the questions. They've had several chapters right. together. Sure, yeah. They've had lots of interaction, but in terms of him kind of testing her after her daily jaunts. Yeah, I think it's just the second. Right? Yeah. And this time, there's not a ton that's different other than he figured out uh, that it was her. He said she she gave him some sass. Yeah. He asks her, how could a blind girl know that it was him? And she said, I, I gave you three. I don't need to give you four. Was it that kind of sass that put her over that showed him? I don't know. I, don't I feel know. like the dude flips a coin I sometimes. I, I mean, like you, he's a sharp guy and he got here somehow and he's like, I'm sure it's not that simple. I'm sure there's something behind it, but it's. It's annoying for me to read because it seems completely unstructured. Yep. In a, in a in a in a order that seems like it should be very structured. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, can we talk about Nymeria again, just real quick? Okay. Do you think? Do you think Arya is making Nymeria more savage? Uh, the the wolves are have a unique connection with their people. Yeah, we've said they're kind of extensions of them sometimes, right? Yeah, or you know, it's a chicken before the age egg thing. Is yeah. it Nymeria that has more of the savage personality, and that's why Arya is the way she is? Right. I tend to think otherwise, but it's an interesting thought. Yeah. So I yes, thought... I think it could be. I got the sense that she kind of, when she was doing her prayer, I can't remember exactly the language, but she says she says something that intimates that she might try to fulfill that prayer through Nymeria. Did you get that sense? I did not, no. Let me go find it real quick. That is the Night Wolf's prayer. Someday she will find them, hunt them, smell their fear, taste their blood. Someday. Mm-hmm. And that that imagery is wolf wolf imagery, all of it. Mm-hmm. You know, humans don't really smell. I mean, she's getting the training to maybe be able to do this better, but smell their fear. You know that it feels wolfish. If it's out, it's the night wolf's prayer. She's gonna wait until she's asleep and do it while, you know, while while she's the wolf, is what it implies. It probably doesn't mean anything, but and uh, the savage nature of the way that a wolf would kill a human. Yeah. That's got to feel satisfying to her with, or the thought of it has to feel satisfying. Right. How much she hates these people. And, and maybe she sees Nymeria as a vehicle to do it. Whereas before it was more like a hope and she has certainly killed some of these people. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, maybe she sees through the wolf dreams, like, yeah, this is a way I can really do this. This isn't just an idle prayer. I can I can do this with Nymeria somehow, right? Maybe that's what she's doing, Scad, in Nymeria right now. Maybe that's what the wolf pack is hunting. Maybe they're trying. She's trying to hunt hmm. these specific people on her prayer list. Maybe having no know. idea really where they are. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. I'd never thought of it that way, but maybe. Me neither. Uh, let's do the cat real quick. So I want to make sure that it's very clear. The kind, the kindly man beats her the one time where that's that's told in the chapter, right? Where he sneaks up in the room and trips her and knocks her down and hits her knuckles and everything. But the cat wasn't watching that time. 
right? That we know of. We think the cat followed her home, she skin changed it, and he came and did it again a time they didn't tell us. Is that right? It's handled a little bit awkwardly, in my opinion. The whole revelation that the cat is the way that she was seeing it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so in the POV itself, when she's getting beat up, she never thinks to herself to look through a cat. Right. Um, But when the cat climbs onto her lap at Pinto's, Mm -hmm. it does seem to be, there is some familiarity. In fact, when he jumps up on her lap, she says, you again? And she scratches his head and everything. Yeah, but it also le- it also says in the chapter that the cat probably remembered her from when she was cat of the canals before. Mm-hmm. So that's remember. The word so it could be going thing. back that far, or we don't know. Well, I, I just think the cat knew her then, and so recognized her and came to sit on her lap that night. Maybe followed her home, and the guy attacked again. And we just don't get it in the chapter. Yep. I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't make sense because there's no you'd think you'd think if if he were attacked again if she were attacked again by the kindly man, we would have probably had it narrated, right? Because there was not a lot of time between Pintos in the morning when she was asked the question or that night when she was asked the question or whatever, right? So here's the passage. Maybe on the morrow she would tell him the kindly man about the cat that had followed her home last night from Pintos. Or Pintos, uh, the cat that was hiding in the rafters looking down on them. Or maybe not. If he could have secrets, so could she. That's confusing. Is he is is the cat looking down on them right now as they talk? But then how is she getting some indication that that was the man that beat her up? That's what I'm saying. It the, the way it's written doesn't paint clearly exactly how she knew. Yep, exactly. It's, it's clear she, that it came from the cat somehow, but when? Like, was yeah. she watching earlier in that day, and Arya just doesn't mention it in the POV? Mm-hmm. Or was or, it some other occasion? Or does she have some ability, like, Werewood style, to, like, go into the cat's memories? That's what I was just about to say. Was which she, would be totally when, fucked. When the cat jumped up on her lap, did, so was some sort of connection made where she was able to like review oh, the geez. cat's footage. <laughs> oh, I don't know, but it's I've never thought of that before. Can, yeah, I mean they are animals; they have memories, right? So, but Maybe then the cat you... would have had to have been in the house of black and white at that time, which means that you know if the cat somehow had this connection with Arya. But why was the cat following her around? You know, right? Like, I don't know. Is someone skin changing into the cat? Uh, oh, yeah. scad. Oh, boy. <laughs> Jesus. Remember how Jon Snow, or no, who was it? Varamir felt <clears throat> Orel when he went into Orel's bird. What if someone was skin changed into the cat when Arya skin changed into the cat and somehow they were communicating inside of the cat? So it's not oral manipulation, it's orel manipulation. (laughs) That's what, Aurelian, yeah. (laughs) That's what happens when two wargs communicate inside of an animal's head. (sighs) We're probably overcomplicating it, but... We really are. But it feels, but 
but the way that and maybe you know maybe it's just shitty writing it happens but like it doesn't i don't think i don't think it stacks up really neatly it doesn't say like this is when she saw it happen and this is how it's like oh Mm -hmm. well the cat is how but you don't know when because there wasn't a lot of she had to come up with the three things that night in pinto's she had to tell them the next time he saw him so there's not a whole lot of time for him to beat her again so she the cat must have seen it previously which means she must have you'd be able to access its memories which maybe they can do i don't know if we have precedent for that with other with other skin changing but i don't know or yeah there's somebody else communicating with uh, i don't know so i backed up just a couple paragraphs in the text mm-hmm. um and she does say uh, he said, is there a third? And she says, yes, I know that you're the one who has been hitting me. Right, who's been beating me. Which implies yeah, so, it's happening more than once. Which implies it's happened more than once. But again, we don't know that it happened that very in between the last beating and this point in the story. That because the, the one that we get an account of feels like the first one. Doesn't it? Um, Maybe not. She's very quick to grab her stick and block something. Even just because she doesn't recognize who it is and they don't answer right away, she's like, "Oh shit! I better grab my stick. It's coming again." Yeah, so maybe the blind maybe... girl did not know who the voice belonged to. One of the acolytes, she supposed. Yeah, you kind of get the. You kind of get the impression that this is happening for the first time. You do. You do. So I, it's got to be a memory thing. I don't know, but who's been beating me? That implies that it's happened several times. Mm-hmm. Ah. We're gonna have to go look into this deeper. We can't. We can't. We can't second guess all all episode. All right. I don't know how much deeper we could go into it though. Just just yeah. covering our butts a little bit. This is yeah. the text that we get, and and I even I won't say anything, but I did read ahead, and there's nothing there. Yeah. That tells us any more. Yeah. Kind of interesting that this was our first aria chapter of A Dance with Dragons. It took me a bit. That didn't hit me until today, actually. Yeah. Because we've been yeah, reading Feast for Crows know, with this. I don't know why. Maybe it's because Danny's stuff has been happening in dance. You feel like all the Esso stuff is in dance, but it isn't. Right. Arya was in Feast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that makes Arya, if I'm not mistaken, the only POV that occurs in all five books. Oh, really? Hmm. Wait. Bran isn't in Feast? No, he wouldn't be. Bran's not in Feast. I thought Cersei, but no, Cersei doesn't come until... Oh, Tyrion's in both. ...later. Isn't Tyrion in Feast? He is. Yep. So Arya... Yep, you're right. Arya and Tyrion. Yeah. Wait. Is he in Sansa. Feast? Sansa. Wait. 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 Wait for it! I don't think... <laughs> now that we're doing this reading order, I have no idea. I know, I know. <laughs> Well, let's move on. I I don't think Tyrion's in Feast. All that stuff down the down the Roin? I think that's all Dance with Dragons. Oh, okay. Yeah, I buy that. I mean, we have a website that'll tell us that. I yeah, I'm trying to get there, but it's going really slow. <laughs> uh there is no Tyrion in Feast for Crows. So it's all dance. Well, you heard it here first. Arya is the hero of the series. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, Ghost of Winterfell, you ready? I am not. Nope. Oh. We'll wait then. 
You'll wait till I tell you I'm ready. Okay, Ghost in Winterfell. Here we go. His daddy lost a war, so he's living in the north. Now he's almost stuck between being a kraken and a wolf. Yes, the young Greyjoy. With a smile so sly, put an arrow through your eye. Yes, the young Greyjoy. Make a lady scream and a wonder be a king. Yes, the young Greyjoy. Loyalty speaks, but there's something there that rigs. Yes, the young Greyjoy. We got ourselves a good old-fashioned murder mystery here. Mm. A Risewell men-at-arms found dead at the foot of the inner wall. Roger Risewell, Roger Risewell claims the man fell off the wall while taking a piss, but Theon wonders why in the world the man would have gone all the way up there just to pee. Indeed. Uh, maybe to see if it would freeze in midair? Because I would be interested in seeing that. Um, this only encourages the faint murmurings that Stam Stannis may have agents inside Winterfell, which Roos tries to quash any and all such talk. Uh, even having one man beaten and banished for suggesting that Stannis might be riding out the snows with help from R'hllor. Most believe, or at least profess they believe, that there's no way Stannis could survive uh, the blizzard that's going on up north. Meanwhile, Abel's gals continue with their fascination of Theon, with one, Holly, asking him again, he's already been asked before by one of the other gals, to show her the crypts. Theon refuses her advances, convinced that their persistence is due to a desire to learn a way out of Winterfell. Why do they want out? Well, why not with the way things are going? And how are things going uh, in Winterfell right now? Well, in the words of John Mayer, we're going down and we can see it too. Uh, two more men, a Frey and a Flint, are found dead. So along those lines of things going down, uh, both apparently by accident, just like the first. And the deaths and probably the cold, and the food, and the cooped up in this, seem to be putting everybody in Winterfell on edge. None more so than the Freys and the Manderleys, with the Freys openly suspicious of Lord Manderley over the deaths of their three kin who never made it back from White Harbor. The disputes between these two houses are public and borderline violent, and in the midst of one in particular, <gasps> is that uneasiness and perhaps even fear? that Theon sees in Roos Bolton's eyes. Mm. That night, the newly built stable collapses, killing two men and 26 horses. Even more ominous, a third corpse is later found. That would be a fourth, actually. Yellow Dick, one of Ramsay's homeboys. Whereas the other deaths appeared to be accidents, this one was blatant murder, as Yellow Dick was found with his own dick, now blue, stuffed in his mouth. Uh, things continue to deteriorate morale-wise, as now that the stables are no more, the, house, the horses have to be kept in the only space large enough to keep them, which happens to be Winterfell's Great Hall, where everyone else happens to be as well. The stench is stenchy. Uh, after some of the usual bullying from Ramsay's gang in the Great Hall, Theon exits for his quarters. On his way there, he encounters... Oh, he encounters a man in a hooded cloak who threateningly calls him Theon Kinslayer. He asks Theon how such a traitor still draws breath. And Theon, uh, oddly unafraid, shows him his mutilated hand, saying, The gods are not done with me. Lord Ramsay is not done with me. The hooded man laughs and says, I leave you to him then. Or, I leave you to them then. 
Shortly after, Theon is summoned before Roose Bolton and a selection of lords who have heard of Theon's wanderings and want to question him about the murders, or uh, deaths, because they're not murders. Lady Dustin, who we remember had a tell-all with Theon down in the crypts during the last chapter, asks him to take off his gloves and show off the maimings Ramsay had committed upon him. After seeing what few fingers he has left, she concludes Theon had not the strength nor the mental capacity to commit the deeds. Roose agrees. Strength aside, he does not have it in him to betray my son, Roose says. So with Theon free of suspicion, the Freys argue that it must be Lord Manderley, of course. But Lady Dustin reminds them the Manderleys aren't the only Northmen who don't exactly love the phrase. Remember, the Umbers, Flints, Carewins, Tallhearts, Slates, Ricewells, and yes, even the Dustins all lost men at the Red Wedding. Uh, ordering the squabbling to stop, Roos dismisses Theon. So later that night, Winterfell is awoken by an eerie horn call from beyond the castle walls, followed by the sound of drums. Stannis! everyone thinks but visibility is at zero beyond the wall due to the snows they can't see who it is if there is an enemy they are invisible for now theon wonders if with the shaken up soda bottle that is winterfell about to burst uh, if it wouldn't be better for roos to send his men out to fight just get him out there and doing something if so could he beg roos to let him go too so that he might die with a sword in his hand Death was the sweetest deliverance Theon could hope for at this point. Anyways, he finds again himself in the Godswood, where he begs the old gods to let him die as a man, to die as Theon, and not as Reek. The leaves of the tree, the heart tree, seem to whisper his name, and they whisper Bran's name as well, even as a leaf falls and brushes his brow. The gods know, Theon thinks, his guilt palpable. He gives the argument he's probably given himself dozens of times that he had to kill the Miller's boys in order to maintain his credibility. He had to have two heads. Who are you talking to? Theon is terrified as he hears the voice behind him, thinking it to be Ramsay or his henchman. He turns and sees, thankfully, that it's only two of Abel's washerwomen. Uh, mocking him as a traitor, they say they want Theon, even pulling a blade on him. Again, unafraid and even hopeful for death, Theon accuses the women of the murders that had been occurring and practically begs them to kill him too. Now, the washerwomen don't exactly confess to the killings, but they don't really deny it either. They do offer him a hint of the death he seeks. You prayed, they said, and the gods sent us. You want to die as Theon? We'll give you that. A nice quick death. It will hardly hurt at all. Then they smiled, but not till you sung for Abel. He's waiting for you. And so ends uh, the ghost, the Prince Ghost of Winterfell chapter. I had it written down as Prince here first, but Ghost of Winterfell, yes. Is it the Ghost of or the Ghost in? Ghost in Winter, a Ghost in Winterfell. That's what <laughs> I hate to be all uh, all uh, Bill Clintony about the word exactness. A Ghost wh- in Winterfell. I wonder if it matters. Um, uh, it probably does. Yeah. An interesting chapter. Mm-hmm. Lots happening. Dis- discontent in Winterfell. Mm-hmm. Blood starting to boil a bit. Old conflicts rising to the top. Not so old conflicts rising to the top. 
It's uh yeah, a bit a bit like a a powder keg, a soda bottle like you called it. And uh I don't know, in soccer there's um I might have used this comparison before. In soccer there's a a phrase that commentators also frequently use when when a team is really pressing for a goal and really putting the pressure on um and and the other team just kind of can't seem can't seem to do anything to to mount an attack of their own or to gain possession they they'll frequently say you know they just need something to relieve the pressure right they need an outlet pass just to complete a couple passes just to get just to feel like they're not completely under under the gun all the time right just something to give them a moment of mental re, mentally recover from the mm-hmm. pressure and uh you get that sense here that the, the the men are just they're antsy they're really antsy for a lot of reasons yeah you sometimes get that in hockey too with fighting there's back in you you've watched goon recently back in the I days did. of the enforcers uh, an enforcer on a hockey team or a fighter on a hockey team would sometimes fight strategically when his team needed something like that, you know, when things were going against him, he would go out and get in a fight. The risk of that being if he gets his butt kicked in the fight, then he's, you know, they're they're not any better than when they started. But if he can give them something to kind of cheer for and, and get them going again, then that's something too. But, yeah, you know, my first thoughts were, man, if you ride out there into the invisible white, you're done for, Bruce. But maybe that's just what they need. I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, sometimes when my boys are fighting, which is like a lot, <laughs> yeah. it's just like you need to grab them by the collar and just like get them in their rooms away from each other. Yeah, don't say anything. Just separate them. I think them I think Roos would be would benefit himself greatly if he just hand delivered meals to the different camps and just kept everyone apart for like a few days, mm-hmm. because. It's it's really the interactions among them that's causing all the problems, right? And if if they would just stay away from each other and settle down, they might realize that like Stannis has it way worse out there than they do. They've got kitchens and access to food and you know yeah, the relative food's not very good, but no, but it's better than it's, what they got. It's much and they don't know that for sure, right? They don't know what Stannis has, but you can imagine that it's much worse in the snow out there. They've got shelter, yep. you know, like. I know it seems bad for them, but it isn't. It isn't what Stanny Boy is dealing with. Yep. And like, if they just relax and just be like, he's got it way worse. Right. Even if they make it here, they're going to be exhausted, weak, frozen. Like, they're not going to be able to attack us. Like, just calm down. Don't kill each other. It'll be fine. You know. Yeah, and what's worse, even you've you've laid that out really well. What's worse is they don't really have a cause that they're fighting for, you know, that makes the suffering worth it. They don't respect Roos, you know. No. We see that many of the northern houses had great respect for the Starks, especially those in the mountains and stuff like that. No one respects Roos Bolton. Nobody, you know, has this burning passion for the cause that they're fighting for. Yeah. It's... No, it's a good point. They, they had Ramsey actually, to his credit, made that argument before they went to Winterfell. Right? He he, he wanted to mm-hmm. marry uh, Faria at uh, was the Risewells or the Dustins or Barrowtown, wherever they were. Yeah, he wanted to do it there, and um, and was just like, no, we need to be at Winterfell. It's a symbolic thing. 
And I think that probably worked. But For a bit. It, but it ran yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know it's yeah. like the ty- rubbing Tyrion's head and getting luck. Like, it ran out. I mean, it. It's not a, it's not a token good for all day rides. It's you know, yeah, it's good for an hour or two. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, but I don't know what his. It, it almost seems like Bruce didn't have a plan for that, or or didn't know if it would run out. Ramsey's heard himself. Lady Dustin mentions it in the previous chapter that the people have noticed cries coming from Jane's room or whatever, and mm-hmm. they're not all in anymore. And and so Ramsey's maybe you know used up some of that goodwill but yeah they, what what is their plan to stay in winterfell until winter breaks yeah to just and... stay there until stannis shows up what if stannis went the king's road route and started going south like what would they do would they he's just not there? even in the north anymore <laughs> yeah like would they just stay there yeah exactly and i don't think just like stannis didn't plan on the snows coming as hard and as fast i don't think roost did either yeah, i yeah. think he would right. been planning on a battle occurring much sooner um a, a battle that they would win, yeah, which yeah, of course would be great for morale. Uh, yeah, but it's uh, now that the, they're snowed in, what do they do? You know, it's why parents hate snow days with their kids too. <laughs> the soda I don't know. happens. I, it it, fe- it feels like they're just panicking that the leadership isn't doing a good job, and whoever the fuck is doing these murders is doing a great job of just kind of pushing the mental envelope with these people who are already at a, a bit at their wits end, right? Yeah. And it, it, it's psychological those, warfare. Yeah, with those murders, they're doing it very strategically, you can tell, because it's not like it's all Freys that are being killed. Because right. then you could blame it on Manderleys or whoever's. Yeah. But they kill a Ricewell, who's kind of in the, you know, they're kind of in that section of the north that's kind of... The rills are kind of in the uh, southwest, I guess, of the north. Yep. And then you've got a flint who's of the mountain. And they're kind of maybe more sympathetic to the Bolton cause than some of the other houses, perhaps, as well. The Risewells. Sure. Yeah, they're kind of close to the Dustins, which, of course, you know. Right. Well, Barbary Dustin was a Risewell before she got married. Right. Um, So, yeah, so you've got Mm -hmm. them. You've got the Flints up in the the northern clans. You've got a Frey who dies. You've got Yellow Dick, one of Ramsey's boys. So you can't pin it on any one person or any one group. Right. And that's that's brilliant, (laughs) whoever's doing it. Yeah. 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 You want to talk about the the, uh, Weirwood incident? Okay. I mean, it's Bran, right? I mean, that's cool, right? Yeah. It has to be. I mean, you laid it out last episode, you know, like as a as as maybe a a possibility, but like we know Bran can see through the weirwood. Mm-hmm. We've seen in Bran's last POV that we ever get until we get a new book. You know, we get the sense that he's trying to to reach out, and and maybe we've seen in the past. Maybe Ned feels like he hears something. Like, two names are said, or at least Theon thinks he hears two names, himself and Bran. If all he can do is, like, say single words, the two things he'd be saying here are Theon to get his attention, and it's Bran. It's Bran. Bran. (laughs) Like, so, I mean... it's Bran. Yeah. When you call somebody. (laughs) Right. Hey, Stan, it's Matt. You know, you'd feel kind of... I, I don't know what else he could do, right, other than that, but... It's it's 
disconcerting and also really, really cool to, to see this maybe happening, right? Well, you almost see it develop, right? You almost yeah. see if it is Bran, you see him getting better at it. It right. starts off, you know, the first time Theon went to the Godswood, he heard just kind of like whisperings, almost like if it were voices. Right. Right. And then there's another time where he hears his name, Theon. And this time he hears a little more. He hears Bran's name, too. You know? And, and I realize uh, it's a story yeah. and George has to show progression linearly somehow. But Bran should be able to use his full power in talking to Theon in this moment if he wants to. Because he can do it whenever he likes, right? Be nice. Because, because the, like he can travel through time through the Weirwood stuff, it looks like, right? So, mm-hmm. anyway. Ugh. But we don't... Uh, this is what's interesting is as far as we know as far as what's been revealed to us is the weirwoods have been seen as an observation tool right yes Yes. they're like a telescope or or something like that or a a camp we used it as a a camera like a security camera not as a communication device but there have been like you said in the recent theon chapters and also ned early on in his in the first chapter i think uh-huh. Ned says something like he inclines his head toward the tree and thinks he hears something or I mean I, I think it happens at the very beginning of the Game of Thrones as well I mean it's yeah. a hint it's not directly like he heard names but the, uh, uh, when Bran first goes into the Weirwood he he causes that as well yeah so it's but, but you're you right know, I mean historically that... they weren't communication devices so not that we know of yeah yeah so is it something that's just advanced Weirwood, you know, Weirwood 201 yeah. or something? Yeah. Or is it, is is Bran kind of treading on new ground here? It's interesting. Yeah. I hope he's treading on new ground. And be awesome. What does Bloodraven know about that? Mm-hmm. Ah! Did I just spoil something? We knew it's Bloodraven, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. Talked about it. Thank God. He's he's explained that his name was Brendan and stuff. Like yeah, that, yeah, yeah. So. All right. Uh, likelihood of surviving an eighty foot fall with ten or twenty feet of snow below. It's likely. It's really likely, actually. I looked it up. Yeah. It's like. Yeah. So you're referring to the dude that they threw over the battlements. Both. Uh, both that and in this chapter, Theon thinking about jumping and wondering whether he could make it. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, we do have that man. He kind of, they saw him hobbling off. They shot him in the butt after they threw him over the right the side. So you have to think he's dead in the snow, but... You'd think so. He did seem to make yeah. it. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, other than that, what else do you have? Mm, the gods are not done with me. Lord Ramsey is not done with me. The hooded oh. man. I don't, I don't know that we can go into much of that here or whether you want to just save it all for Davos After Dark. Uh-huh. There is there's there's a bit of Davos After Dark in this in this chapter yeah, for sure. There is. I did find something interesting. And I don't know if it's anything. Um and I might have an explanation for it, but I wonder if you noticed it as well. Theon showing off his hand. Yeah. When he shows his hand to the hooded man, mm-hmm. it said oddly he was not afraid. He just did it. Yeah. And he's like, here, look, gods aren't done with me. Da, da, da. Yep. And this man was pretty threatening. He's under a cloak, he's got a dagger, all that stuff. When Roos, when he's with Roos and Roos says, show us your hands, he's like, please, no, I, I, he's like afraid to. Yeah. 
did you pick that up yeah yeah i did and there's um you know we might hit some of that in davos after dark too but uh i I mean the, the easiest explanation is one of them is showing to the leadership group uh that uh like specifically ramsey's dad (laughs) <laughs> you know that yeah. will now know exactly what's been done uh-huh. and that will get back to ramsey for sure and then he'll get Ramsey punished for more whereas this hooded man he doesn't probably think is a threat uh to do that maybe i don't know that's along my my explanation too so i'm glad yeah. you picked that up but uh a little a little tweak is that he does see we know he wants to de- death is the sweetest thing he could hope for there's this hooded man they're alone He's thinking maybe this is the guy that committed the murders. Maybe he'll kill me quickly. Uh-huh. And so he's not afraid of him. He said death is the sweetest thing he could hope for at this point. You know, maybe he's thinking, here, <laughs> I'm going to die. Uh, but yeah, with being scared around Roos, that's the same thing I thought of, was that they could get back to Ramsey and more torture. Yeah. It does say, oddly, he was not afraid. Right. Like, yep. like George is even telling us coaxing it out of us you should notice this mm-hmm. oddly yeah. he was not afraid and then again with the yeah. with abel's ladies at the end of the chapter he almost tries to goad them into ending him right yeah so yeah, yeah. i think yeah. i think ramsey is the is the thing that really scares him he's not afraid of death he's afraid of ramsey so i think you're right there do you think theon recognizes this hooded man if he does, we don't get any indication in the POV. Yeah, I mean, it says uh, they found themselves face to face. Their eyes met briefly. Mm-hmm. <sighs> you could you could meet somebody's eyes without recognizing them, I suppose, if you knew them. Especially if you weren't expecting to recognize yeah. them. I actually had that just recently. Uh, it's actually at church. This guy showed up at church, new guy, so I got to know him and was talking to him and everything. He had. He's looked to be about my age, but he had a big, thick beard and everything. And we got to talking, and I asked him, you know, where he grew up. He said he grew up around here, here in West Jordan. I was like, oh, I grew up here in West Jordan, too. Where, What high school did you go to? West Jordan High School. Oh, I went to West Jordan High School. <laughs> what year did you graduate? 2003. Oh, I graduated. <laughs> in, we're in the same graduating class. And after I learned my about him, I remembered who he was. But... I had to go back home and look in my yearbook to recognize this kid. And once I looked at him, it was great. He was, you know, a few pounds lighter and a smooth face. But I did not recognize him at all from just looking at him. Yeah. It was crazy. I saw the kid probably every day at school. And when I looked him up, we weren't friends, you know, or... But we knew who each other were in high school and everything. And I knew what he was into and stuff like that, but... Yeah, it was totally weird. So it's it can one, happen. It's one of the things that makes me know that I'm not really like I'm not an evil person, but like I'm not I'm not a truly good person either. Because <laughs> because I love it's one of my favorite things to do because I look quite a bit different now than I looked when I was younger. E- even 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 5 to to 10 years ago uh with the way my hair is and and the weight that I've put on since quitting soccer and things like that. And uh I love putting people off. And like just watching them struggle to like identify who I am, 
and just like just giving them just like hold their hand and i don't give them a name and i just keep looking at them i did i did it earlier this week a guy came into our office and uh taking him through vr stuff and uh and I came right. I knew he was coming. I had I had been told this guy was coming. Oh, I know that guy. And um, I walked mm-hmm. right up to him as he was turning around, so he didn't get any time to identify me as I was walking up. And I just shook his hand, and he's like expecting an introduction, and I didn't give him one. And <laughs> it was hilarious. He just he sat there for a good five seconds trying to figure it out before finally I gave in and uh, and eased his suffering. But it's one of my favorite things to do. But did he like? Did he have some idea who you were? Like, was it a I know this guy from somewhere? Yeah, he, thing? He, yeah. Like you could tell he was trying to put it together, but he's like he uh-huh. just couldn't do it. And uh, <laughs> That's great. I, I love making people uncomfortable like that. Well, I'm glad you like that. Yeah, I'm not nice. I only like doing it during a song of badness. Every time <laughs> I'm a softy. It's just your one time a year. Yeah, it's like Christmas. Um, let's see here. Yeah, all my other notes probably will be better for Davos After Dark. Okay. Uh, I'll just note, we do get them potentially looking to offer bribes for names. A golden dragon for a name for who's doing these murders. We know how that works out with the dwarf's head thing. People <laughs> will make up any all sorts of inane shit just to get paid. Especially with the feelings in Winterfell right now. Yes, right. With all the... Yeah, all the things there. All right, uh, move on. Move on to Tyrion. All right, Tyrion, here we go. Cripples and bastards and broken things, but the power of the mind can give you wings. Drinking and japing and yeah, ladies. Tyrion, Lannister, or Imp, if you please. Tyrion and Penny are sold to the same man. Yezinzo Kagaz of Yunkai, a behemoth of a man. A man of many folds of fat who can't or doesn't even get up to relieve his bladder and is thus called the Yellow Whale by some. Also bidding for uh, Tyrion and Penny are an old white-haired sellsword and a crone that keeps saying, And one! After everyone's bid. Just like the freaking Price of Rice right kids. Yeah, you hate that guy, right? The guy that's always and wanting everything? Fuck. Tyrion had actually done his best to get purchased by the sellsword, who had given up at 5,000 and who seemed Westerosi. Let me read a little bit of Tyrion's uh, persuasion tactics here. 5,000 is an insult, Tyrion called out. I joust, I sing, I say amusing things. I'll fuck your wife and make her scream. Or your enemy's wife, if you prefer. What better way to shame him? I murder with a crossbow, and men three times my size quail in trouble when we meet across a Sivas table. I have even been known to cook from time to time. I bid 10,000 silvers for myself. I'm good for it. I am, I am. My father told me I always pay my debts. In essence, doing his best to let anyone of Westerosi uh, heritage know that he is, in fact, Tyrion Lannister. But shortly after that, he's whipped for talking at all, and the sale was completed to the Yellow Whale anyway. Tyrion eyes the gates of Marine, knowing that they mean freedom, but certain he'd have to abandon Penny to get there. When Nurse comes and gathers them up to take them to their new home, uh, uh, he... Oh, sorry. He notices the gates of Marine when Nurse comes to take them to their new home. But first, Jorah is on the block. With some quick thinking and much second guessing as to why he was doing it at all, Tyrion convinces Nurse that Sir Jorah is part of their act, the bear in their Bear and the Maiden Fair act. Yezin buys him without delay. Bam, Yezin! You just got orally manipulated. 
But the joke is on him, because Jorah is a broken-down version of himself. His body shattered by beatings, but his spirit shattered worse upon hearing that he is too late. Daenerys is married. On the way to camp, Tyrion takes it all in. The tents, the soldiers, the landscape, I'll spare you the details, except to note that the Yunkai army has built six 40-foot-high trebuchets, big enough to hurl more than Edmure's baby. They appear to be the pride of the camp, and they tower over it. When they reach the expansive yellow tent of Yezin, they are fitted with collars by Nurse, who is noted by the others as the only one you really need to be careful around around here. Oh yeah, the others. There's a goat-legged boy, a bearded lady, a two-headed girl, and a hermaphrodite named Sweets. They're cleaned and primped, for they have a show that night. It goes swimmingly, just as effective if a little less polished as it went at Joff's wedding. After Tyrion plays Syvass against two guests, one a lord he dispatches easily and the other Brown Ben Plum, the same older gentleman who had tried to buy him earlier, <clears throat> they played five games, Tyrion and Brown Ben, Tyrion winning four. But what he really won was an understanding of his opponent. Brown Ben is wary and cautious underneath all of his easy smiles and joking manner. The feast over, Tyrion and Penny are informed that their show was so entertaining that they would be performing at the signing of the peace in the Great Pit of Daznak, an audience of tens of thousands, and hopefully one very special dragon queen. And that's the end of the chapter. Matt, I'll be honest, this is not my favorite chapter. Nah. Uh, moves, moves things along, gets from boat to, uh, you know, some other way to have some action, but, uh, you know, didn't do a lot for me. How about you? I just hate Essos. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Marinese knot has finally taken taken its toll on your conscience. It just, it's just icky. I can't think of another way to describe it. Yeah, I spend too much time around kids. It's it's icky, man. Yeah, it's just you get all these rich nobles and stuff, but it all just seems like lipstick on a pig. And it's just dirty. You've got slaves just wallowing in squalor. And then you've got these, this big old, he's freaking rich. And Tyrion says he's as big as four Illyrios, right? And like you said in your summary, the guy's so big now, he can't, he can't control his bladder anymore and just pees all over himself. Yeah. Yeah. To me, no, your, your metaphor was close. I don't, I don't even think they're bothering with the lipstick anymore. On many of them, yeah. Like, it, they're just pigs, and they're they're rich pigs. And... It's just gross to me. Yeah. The whole thing just makes me um, feel like I need to take a shower whenever I read a Danny chapter or yeah. now a Tyrion chapter. Yeah. It's just gross. Yeah. Just gross. Maybe with the exception of Bravos. Bravos has its places, but it doesn't seem as bad as, you know, Slaver's Bay in particular. Yeah. Well, and even even the Dothraki have um, some sort of tribal honor components. Sure, seem, yeah. you know they they do slavery too, but so maybe know. I'd focus it in on Slavers Bay, Astapor, yeah. Young Kai. Yeah, it's just gross to me. It's bad, and Karth had certainly it was rotten on the inside as well, but it had opulence mm. and mm-hmm. it didn't mm-hmm. seem as it didn't seem as disgusting as as Slavers Bay. Yeah, but yeah, I, I get what you mean. Um, yeah, I, I don't. I, yep, I, I don't, I don't. I honestly have very <laughs> little to say about this chapter. I mean, he's they're sold into slavery. Uh, 
Tyrion is clearly trying to make sure people know who he is. Yep. Um, Which is smart. Smart on his part, as long as he can accept a lash here and there. Um, One thing he doesn't know, or does he, and I'm forgetting, is the price on his head from Cersei. Uh, right? Yeah, I don't... So it could go poorly if people know who he is. No, I, I, I think he... I think he... Uh, he assumes that he'll be able to buy anyone that that he can work his magic tongue he'll, on. That he can yeah, orally he'll, manipulate. He'll he'll take his chance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we do have a sock and Sus mapas today. Okay, okay. For Tolos, mm-hmm. uh, in the chapter I left it out of my summary, but uh, it's on the road there, there. Well, it's a city. Um, yeah. The Tolo- Tolosi slingers is what they refer to in the chapter. They're people that use slings, which generally thought of as outdated because you know a crossbow has better range and better accuracy but these guys the yep. Telosi slingers are super super accurate and they use these soft lead balls instead of like rocks that are just devastating um and tolos is you can think of it like two towns west of marine along the coast so uh if you follow marine along the coast to the west Kind of goes down past Borash and past the Black Cliffs, and there's Tolos right there on the edge. And uh, we kind don't know about much on about a peninsula. Tolos. Yeah, right yeah. there on the peninsula. We don't know much about about Tolos, um, but Danny had tried to ally herself with them uh, as one of the people she sent out, you know, to try to make allies, like she did with uh, various cities. And they just said, decided, no, they're we're gonna ally with you and Kai, as pretty much everyone in the region did. But uh, that's where Tolos is. Sakansus Mapas. Yep. Uh, Sivas. Eh. This is sad. I feel like this is the the least we've given on a chapter ever, but I I really don't have much to say about it. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I have nine bullet points total about this, and many of them are just like... when When I'm reading, I just type notes and they're in bullet points uh, yeah so, like, me too if i need to remind myself who zarina is i write zarina's name down so i know to go back and look back right. on who zarina is right and and i'd say five of my nine are just on characters uh-huh. to go back and learn about them yeah uh six actually i, I have one um, i've one okay one here i've got another one too go ahead Tyrion and her his his Tyrion's relationship with Penny has been interesting. And as he's thinking about fleeing to the walls of Marine and concocting some sort of plan, which Tyrion's great at doing, you know, coming up with some way to, to weasel his way out of here and into there. But he knows he, he knows it will be hard because he's got to bring Penny with him. And it's not like, should I try to bring Penny with him? It's like, no, I've got to bring Penny with me. Yep. Right? The dog and, and the pig, probably not. Yeah. They're not going right. to make it. But right. Yeah, bring Penny. But then I started second guessing, like, or is he just being selfish because he doesn't have an act without her, which would imply that they do have to take the dog and the pig, um, and the escape isn't really an option. But I don't know. It feels it feels a little more noble and uh, good than that. It feels like he's really trying to look out for Penny here. And the Song of Madness has brought up a lot of stuff with Tyrion too about how. Just today, he wasn't even he wasn't even in a match today, and people were bringing him up. Uh, but 
he uh, he's in a shitty place in Dance with Dragons, and his it's it's a rough book for him, and paints him doesn't paint him. He is in a very bad light here. Yep. But we've talked for the last several POVs of his that maybe he's trying to work his way out of it, and he has know, glimpses. Yeah, yeah, glimpses, and this is another glimpse. I guess is just all I'll say about it. Absolutely, there's little moments of where he'll give Penny a little shoulder squeeze, yeah, or something right. like that, just just to like reassure her, right? You know, it's not because he's like trying to do a little back rub in the front room for a front rub in the back room. He's Whoa. he's doing it to make her feel better, and uh, yeah, those conversations on the Song of Madness. I generally don't get too into the conversations. I just like to hang out on the outskirts and troll. But uh, the uh, that's what I chimed in with on the Tyrion thing, is that it gives us enough little sprinklings of Tyrion being an actual human through A Dance with Dragons to make his character seem like a human and seem interesting. And I think that's what keeps us from outright revolting against him. Yeah. Although some people already have. Some people have, and I don't blame them. He's... Yep been pretty despicable i'm, I'm not there despicable yet. terrible things yep right yeah. as many right. have in these books right you know who Tyrion is Tyrion is robert downey jr okay except maybe like a little bit more despicable uh-huh i mean robert downey jr didn't rape anyone which depending on your definition of rape Tyrion did with with prostitutes uh but uh, and he certainly crossed crossed some ethical lines, even if it isn't rape, right? But yep. um, Robert Downey Jr. had an awesome career, and then he like totally lost control and got went off the rails on drugs and everything. Mm-hmm. And then he's come back. He's a humanitarian. He's had a great career. He's, he's a family man, very giving to the giving to his fans, and a, a great kind of attitude in public. And people have just kind of forgotten about his problems. Yep. And Tyrion. Tyrion could be that, right? If if he gets his shit together, he did some really good. Th- I know people forget some now. Now it's been so long, some people forget the good things he was trying to do in King's Landing to try to make the city a better place for its people. Right? You yep. get all those things where he's like, God, all they see is this dwarf, and I've done all these things to try to help them. Right? And all they see is this ugly dwarf that they hate. Right? And he, so he was trying to do some good things, and now he's done these awful things, terrible things. But he could Robert Downey Jr. it and get back on track. I'd sure like to see him do it. Yeah, me too. Be satisfying. Yeah. Uh, why did Tyrion almost impulsively uh, have them buy Jorah? Or, request, or suggest they buy Jorah Mormont? You could lump it into the same the same thinking right that he's just trying to do good for somebody that he doesn't think is deserves to be slaughtered in the fighting pits Mm -hmm. um or he wants jorah to owe him yeah or that (laughs) and maybe he use his if jorah can recover because jorah is not in a great place right now especially after he finds out danny's getting hitched or is hitched um but but you know what? That's I'm going to give Tyrion. That's, that's a good guy to have a have in your back pocket there. I'm going to give Tyrion the benefit of the doubt because it's his POV. Thought. What's that? That was my original inclination. It, to give him it's the his POV, and if he was thinking, "Oh, he'll owe me a favor," he would have thought that. 
Instead, he thinks, I don't know why I'm doing this. Yep. And so, I don't know. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt on that one. Yeah, sure. Um, just one more thing that I have in Arya, not Arya's chapter. No, Arya's chapter. They mention how the the price of slaves has gone up so much. Mm-hmm. We see a little bit of that here. Yeah. Um, and to me, it just points out the far-reaching effects of uh, Danny's, Danny's actions, actions yeah. or abolitionist uh, actions, and it's it's spread all the way to Westeros to the point that it's affecting John and the Wildlings, yeah. Yeah. and she doesn't even know it. They're going clear to Westeros and packing up people from Hardhome to take back and bring as slaves because yeah. the demand is so high. Right. And uh, it's interesting to see the far-reaching effects of, of Danny's influence. Yeah. Yeah, Marina's taking it on the chin for some uh, some real social change. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, see how that plays out. Mm-hmm. Good for Danny. And I don't mean that tongue-in-cheek, Mike, bird words. <laughs> I knew that was going to come up. <laughs> <laughs> Soft on slavery. Come on, man. Uh... All right. Um, I only have one more thing. Uh, the the things Tyrion notices throughout the the chapter, uh, they kind of seem about the camps. They kind of seem they don't seem good for the Yunkai army. I mean, he hears things, you know, from the slaves about believing that Danny will ride forth and break the chains. And they for sure know that in Marine there's no slavery and that, you know, Danny has abolished it, right? Yep. I mean, I don't think it's going to take much for every single one of these slaves to turn to turn sides, right? I, I don't think it's going to take much. And most of these soldiers are slaves. And, uh, he, well, so we had the walkout recently, right? The the walkout in this country, the, the students did uh, against, you know, for for stricter gun laws. Yep. And uh, I, it reminded me of an episode of uh, The Wonder Years. Did you ever watch the show The Wonder Years? Oh, man, it was like barely before my time. So The Wonder Years, I, I wasn't a huge fan, but I did I watch know it, of so. it. Yeah. There was there was an episode where they were going to do a walkout, and I don't even I don't even remember the reasons why they were doing a walkout at Kevin's school, but they're going to do a walkout, and there's this whole kind of drama and anxiety building up to like, will they or won't they? The administration has come down and said, you will not do this. Anyone that does it, you know, whatever. I'm probably mm-hmm. I'm probably bastardizing the details here a little bit, but basically it's this us versus them kind of thing, and no one's sure whether they're going to do it. And there's so much anxiety, and you kind of you the uh, you know the actor playing Kevin does a great job. I've misplaced his name now again, like I seem to do in my old age now. Uh, but he's just so so much anxiety. He just gets up, walks out of his desk, on his way out the door, grabs the bathroom pass, right, like he's going to the bathroom, and walks out the door, and that's all it took. Like people saw him walk out the door. People in other classrooms saw him walking down the hall, and then everybody did the walkout. And that was a long way to get to this metaphor, but all it's going to take is, like, one group of slaves to be like, fuck this, we're with her. And I think they're all going to turn. Like, I get that sense. And you're absolutely right. I think so, too. Um, and and much of the army is also sellswords. Yeah. Who aren't true. exactly known for yeah. their loyal loyalty. 
So yeah. you could definitely see things uh, turning quickly. Yeah. Mm. And, I, and I'm sure this is not new territory. I'm probably lifting this straight from <laughs> the, radio, the wonderful Radio Westeros episode that covers this upcoming battle. But uh, it just, it feels... It it feels like these slaves are not gonna not gonna stick around long to me. Yep. All right, move on. Got uh, anything else? Yep. Let's move on. All right. Uh, Jamie. Would you know that he's deadly in a fight and a smile so wide to get cheating at the palm of his hand? Jamie Lannister got a thing for sister, gonna keep it quiet, so we'll push a kid out a window. And when that king's lying. Dead, it doesn't matter. Reason, bottom line is the treason. At deepest side, could there be something on if you can see a hero? Could that be? Said Jamie, said Jamie, said Jamie Lannister. Say it again, said Jamie, said Jamie, said Jamie Lannister. Uh-uh-uh. Oh, this is a good chapter. This is a good chapter. I hope I do it, uh, do it justice. Well, we'll see. Yeah, judge me, judge me harshly. <laughs> Through the fire-ravaged land of the Blackwood Vale, Jamie travels to sue for the surrender of Lord Titus Blackwood. The land has been ruined by Gregor and his ilk, but Raventree Hall stands still, with its giant weirwood courtyard defiant and un- unyielding, just like its ruler. Jonos Bracken heads the siege effort, six months running now, but really just the latest in a Hatfield-McCoy feud that goes back centuries. It's a boring affair with both sides seemingly, apparently content to just kind of wait it out for now. Jamie don't play that. He wants this thing done so he can get back to his king, his son. Yeah, and Cersei too, though he doesn't think he can help her despite whatever trouble she's in. He strides into Bracken's tent without being announced, interrupting Coitus. But at least someone is coming in Bracken's tent because he and his mistress won't be. He openly gapes at the woman as Lord Jonas dresses, flirting with her until she's dressed and departed. It goes both ways, though, with Hildy grabbing a handful of Jamie's junk as she leaves, giving him plenty to, uh, think about the next time he's, uh, thinking. Bam! You've been manually manipulated, Jamie. Jamie informs Jonos that he will be negotiating a peace before the sun goes down, not waiting any longer for the siege to take effect. The terms will be standard rebellion tax, allegiance to Hall on the Iron Throne, a hostage, and some of the land Bracken was promised from Blackwood. Then Jamie does exactly that. He allows Titus to swear his allegiance in his solar, saving face in front of his men. He deals with Titus fairly and respectfully. They agree on about half of what Bracken was originally asking for land-wise, and one of Blackwood's four sons, the bookish Hoster, going along with, with uh, Jamie when he leaves. For his part, Titus asks him about Edmure, about Brynden, suggests that Jonos also send a hostage, and finally about Jamie's own next destination, Riverrunner King's Landing. Both replies Jamie, aware. Before he leaves, Jamie offers a threat. And I will read that too. I'm not your friend and I'm not your brother. My lord, let there be no misunderstanding here. Lord Beric Dondarrion, Thoros Amir, Sandor Clegane, Brynden Tully, this woman Stoneheart, all these are outlaws and rebels, enemies to the king and all his leal subjects. If I should learn that you or yours are hiding them, protecting them, or assisting them in any way, I will not hesitate to send you your son's head. I hope you understand that. Understand this as well. I am not Ryman Frey. 
Jamie knows that this negotiation went entirely too splendidly and too easily, so he throws that threat out there in the end to just remind Titus exactly who's in charge here. On his way out, he also tells Bracken what he's won. Some cliffs, some tiny towns, a mill, and a honey hive for him to rot his teeth. But he requests a hostage for Bracken as well. Any one of Bracken's daughters to wait on the queen to be sent before the year is out. They depart through the countryside, stopping by to see the famously disputed teats of Missy slash Barba, and staying for the night in Penny Tree. On the way, we get the story from the book nerd, Hoster, about the teats, and also the feud itself. It is like much in this series, a history clouded by poor and disputed record-keeping, but in essence, disputed kingships and lands for centuries, with a peace made here and there for days or months or years or even decades. Bloodlines are so muddled now between the Brackens and, and uh, Blackwoods, that they all have blood of each. But something always triggers the old wounds to fester or open. Hoster indicates that he doesn't think there will ever be a lasting peace. Jamie insists there could be, and points to the Casterlies, the Reigns, the Tarbecks. Yikes. Finally, they reach Penny Tree. Its residents hold up in their keep, waiting for Jamie to ride through. They've had enough of King's Men. Jamie avoids conflict and settles in for the night when none other than Brienne of Tarth comes riding up to him. My lord, you gave me a quest. The girl, have you found her? I have. Where is she? A day's ride. I can take you to see her, but you will need to come alone. Elsewise the hound will kill her. Bam, Jamie. You just got orally manipulated, and you liked it. End of chapter. Yeah, he did. Brienne didn't die! Brienne did not die. Hopefully that means Pod and Sir Hyle also still still kicking and not at the end of the rope. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, we had to wait a little bit. This is Jamie's first and only Dance with Dragons chapter. Yeah. Got a steady diet of him in Feast. Uh, but this is the first Jamie chapter that we get in Dance. Mm-hmm. And of course, and no one. Brienne chapters in Dance. So the last time we heard from her... Yes. was in a feast for crows. So those who are reading feast first and then dance, you know, yeah. they didn't probably. They were holding their breath that. a bit. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, pretty cool. Um. Let me just say this: I had completely forgot about Hoster Blackwood, and yeah. I love him. You know who I got is Hoster Blackwood, even though Hoster's like a teenager, right? He's like 17. Yeah. I got him as Stephen Merchant. <laughs> Stephen Merchant. Look him up. He's he's uh, Ricky Gervais's buddy. Okay. He's English. Man. I'll look um, him up. He's, not, he's more of a show writer than he is, mm. but he's in films too. He's big, yeah. tall, skinny, blonde guy. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, maybe I just watched a, a film with him. That's why I'm thinking of him. I just watched a film called Table 19, which is a lovely show, by the way, and I'd recommend it. Um, he's in it. And he's just this tall, gangly dude. Yeah. All knees and elbows. Like. Hoster Here's what I want to happen with Hoster. Meet up with Sam? Want... Huh? Meet up with Sam? No, I want him to go uh, to King's Landing uh, and meet up with whoever this Bracken daughter is. And for them to fall in love and put an end to this bullshit. Just end it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I know the lesson is it won't end unless someone's eliminated, but that's what I want for him. That's fair. Yeah. I I just want want him and Sam to just be able to nerd out 
Ja. Be fun. Ja. Ja, Jamie mentions that he and Tyrion would get along really well. Ja. Yeah. Uh, one thing that's uh, a little bit subtle. Jamie is seemingly hoping for an ambush. Oh, yeah. Did you pick this up? Oh, yeah. He's like, let's go this way and see if they'll... Uh... Let's see if, if we can get some action us. here. Yeah. <laughs> like, wow. Wow. Just hope it. Just begging for it. Well, we've talked about this with Jamie before. He's trained. His whole life has been devoted to becoming the best swordsman that he can, kind of the best knight that he can. But he isn't anymore. I mean, he's going to have to rely on others to save him, probably. I mean, I don't know how good he is now. Maybe he's okay, but... I think he got... I think he's competitive enough that he's got the itch. I think he wants to try it out on someone other than Illin. Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, the stakes would be awfully high. Yeah, they would. They would for sure. I I think he kind of just wants to see what would happen. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. He's also in this, uh, he's got this, uh, he's on a roll right now, just like getting crap done. You know what I mean? You ever get into that mode where you're just like getting crap done? Just moving from one thing to the next. You got a lot of momentum. You're accomplishing things. You're crossing stuff off the list. I yeah, I don't feel like James. I get into that phase nearly enough anymore. I don't. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, at work, at work, I've got my responsibilities are so, so diversified now that I'm just I'm interrupted by something yeah. just all the time. Yeah. Um, and half at the home, days dealing with interruptions. Yeah. Yeah, at, at home, I forget about it. Like, unless the kids are off at grandma's or something, like I'm interrupted every second by you know, like come with play with me, you know, all these things, right? Which and you're like, I love, shut up. Like, if I actually no, not that, but know. you know, if I want to get something, I can never get into a mode where I'm just crossing shit off the list all day. Yeah, yeah. and that's kind of what he's done here in the Riverlands. He's just he has, yeah. moving through and and crossing yeah. stuff off, and he probably would love to take care of the Brotherhood with banners while he's out there. You know, yeah. It'd be awful nice. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see. Yeah, I can't wait to see him cross cross this off the list with Brienne as well. Because I mean, there's 350 pages left in this book, and surely we'll get an adventure with these two. No, we won't. Mm, that's it. <laughs> this is all we get. 350 pages. Can you like? Can you remember back, like thinking and like reading this and be like, oh, Jamie won. Great. There's 300. Oh, great. Great. We're gonna get to read about what's gonna happen here, and then no, no, nope, no, you're not, not at all. Yeah. You don't get to know anything and what's happening here. Six years later? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's more than that, isn't it? It came eight, out in eight years. 2010. 2010. Right? 2010, 2011? So, I don't I think know. It was 2010. Yeah. I got it right here. I can look. You're going to go look at the copyright? Work. Yeah. You do that, Scad. You move on to the next topic while I do, so that our listeners aren't hearing me flip through pages. Well, I could always just uh, cut this out. Edit. But... <laughs> uh, let's see here. 2011. So, 2011? Yeah. Makes sense. Okay. I loved the uh, the whodunit first Blackwood Bracken feud. Um. Of course, you got Jonas Bracken yeah. saying we were kings and the Blackwoods were our vassals, but they betrayed us and usurped the crown. Yep. Then Hoster later says the Blackwoods were kings in those days and the yep. Brackens were petty lords. Yep. <laughs> it's just funny. Thousands yeah, and, of years of this. And who cares? Because it's mm-hmm. thousands of years ago. But Hoster says this. It's a poignant, I think. 
So long as men remember the wrongs done to their forebears, no peace will ever last. Right. And it's true. Because they'll have sons, but, right? He mentions. But the the beauty of these feuds... I love these feuds. The whole the whole Hatfield McCoy Hatfield kind of thing McCoy, of has course. always I don't know has always gotten gotten underneath my skin a little bit. These kind of loyalty things and these just factions of small sets of people that doesn't matter to the rest of the world, but like they are going to dig in against each other. It just kind of it, it's compelling to me somehow. But the beauty of those feuds is always the exceptions. Gimli and Legolas, right? Like mm-hmm. the the ones that rise above it and find some common ground and become you know companions or you know lovers or whatever hoster and jonas's daughter maybe 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 (laughs) but i ask you matt what's better extermination and a song or endless blood feud if those are the two options you wipe them all out in one fell swoop not all they get a song sure (laughs) jamie's interesting yeah gosh i love his character I know you do, Matt. And it's not even him that I love so much. Because he's still kind of a tool. <laughs> but I just love the way he's written as a character. Yeah. You know, the he's actually good to Titus Blackwood in a way. Yeah. You know, oh, shall I kneel for you here, sir? No, we can just pretend that you kneeled. Yeah. Let's go back in, you know. And right. he even thinks, when he offers him dinner, he even thinks, I don't want to put, you know, his people yep. out e- any more than I are, than they already are. They're already starving. Right. You know, after a siege, I don't want to, I want right. to do that. Although that might have been for appearance's sake. That kind of, kind of what I inferred for that. He's like, I don't want to make it look like I'm taking their food. <laughs> yes, right. Because he wants to look good. But, uh, but then he'll, he'll do all that that's kind of good. And it's, it's stuff that no one else notices. Right, yeah. no one but Titus know that he knows that he said that to him about kneeling. But then yeah. he'll go and say to Hoster Blackwood, like, "I know how you can end this uh, whole yeah. feud thing. Just kill everybody, everyone." Yeah, <laughs> right. He's such and an I'm interesting sure, study. And I'm certain Jamie would pick the Blart with the Brackens. He seems to like the Blackwoods a lot more than the Brackens. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of like the Brackens. You do? Like a little bit. I mean. John O'Sbracken gets caught literally with his, his cock out. Down. Yep. Uh, and in a in an uncomfortable position, he's not done his job of mm-hmm. you know getting this siege done. Uh, you know, which maybe it's his fault, maybe it isn't, but whatever. The job isn't done, uh, and he doesn't take shit from Jamie. Really, he talks back to him. He's like, "No, like you, you know, what about the things that I am owed? You know, like you killed my heir. Like all these things. Like he he talks back to him." Right, and it's kind of uh, it, it wasn't it wasn't all all kneeling and yes sirs. It was right. You know, I'm a man, and you're not just going to come push me over, right? So yeah, I kind of I kind of like Bracken a little bit, but but not like he's still a dick. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I kind of like him. But speaking of Jamie, so speaking like yeah, of he, Jamie, <laughs> so he does all these other things that are nice and decent and and humanizing. But it's the little things that make uh-huh. Jamie a dick. Yeah. Those sentries that he just walked past to bust into Jonas's tent. They're going to get in trouble. They're getting fucking fired. <laughs> like, think about that. Like, just just take ten seconds out of your afternoon. You only got the one thing to do. You need to talk to Jonas, but you know what? Yeah. 
take the 10 seconds and let the sentries do their job. Right? Nope. nope. Going right in. They're fired. <laughs> Heading right in there, buddy. Uh, come on. That's that's what makes Jamie that's Jamie. That's what makes Jamie Jamie. And why... <sighs> yep. Okay. Let's keep talking about Jamie here. All right. So, he's ended the siege at River Run. Yeah. He's ended the smaller siege here. He's doing a good job. Uh, he seems to be quite... Like, he's offering very fair terms and stuff like that, right? Yeah. You know, even in his things with Titus Blackwood, he's like, come on, man, you got to give him something. Like, yep. just give him something here. You know you got to do it. Uh-huh. He... He could have definitely taken Tidos's daughter, but instead accepted Hoster, which, geez, Tidos, he's like relieved when, yeah, when you can have Hoster. Outward oh, thank relief. you, yeah. thank you for taking Hoster. Um, he's like, what did he say? He's like, he's bookish, unfortunately, or yeah. something like that. <laughs> so terrible. The yeah. shades of Randall. Yeah. Um, he seems to be just doing a good job but i don't know scad there's maybe i'm being a little hard on him but there's something to be said when you're doing a good job but you're doing it for the wrong people does that make Mm. sense for a corrupt crown for cersei for i mean he's cleaning up a mess in the riverlands that really i mean you could we had this argument on twitter too you could point to catelyn you could also point to Tywin. Tywin, you know, sent Gregor out there to ravage the Riverlands. And Jamie's cleaning things up now. But he's doing it under the same name as the guy who kind of started it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I don't, all, know just, how I, I don't know how I feel about it. I don't think you can lay this at Catelyn's. You can certainly lay some blame for the start of the war at Catelyn's feet, but not... But, I don't think you can blame lay, the lay Riverlands the, stuff. The Riverlands burning and the, the butchering yeah. that went. I mean, there are responses. I agree. To actions, and then there are like overwhelming responses to actions. And Tywin was ready for war, hoping for war, waiting for any sort of catalyst. Probably celebrated when Tyrion was taken. Frankly, oh, he... and go ahead. He admits that he did that to try to draw Eddard out of King's Landing. Right. He admits that. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. And so... The, so I'm the, agreeing with you. Yeah, yeah. The butcher, the butchery and the burning and all of that is mm-hmm. squarely on Tywin's feet. The war itself mm-hmm. and how it began, maybe there's blame to go to Littlefinger and... There's a Lysa lot of blame Catelyn to pass around for the War of the Economic Five things and yeah, Robert being blind and going on there. Cersei fucking everyone. I mean, there's lots of blame everywhere. But, yeah. but the wasting of the Riverlands is all on Tywin. Mm-hmm. And so, but do you get what I'm to, saying? Yes, about Jamie. But but what are his what are his real alternatives though? Uh huh. Like what could he do? Because there's something to be said. He could resign, but yep. I, like, what good is that going to do? If he if he has good good intentions, God, I can't believe I'm fucking defending Jamie. You did this to me. Trapped if he has you. good intentions, trapped. You. I knew exactly <laughs> what I was doing. Yeah, I know you did. Yeah. Uh, devious. If he has good intentions, then why should he resign and let somebody else who might not have good intentions do the job, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. he, he has to play the, the hand that he's now... The hand. <laughs> he has oh! to play the hand that he's now dealt. Uh, and 
make the best yeah, of it. Yeah, he's doing it for bad people, maybe, or a bad person or something. But if he's trying to do it the right way and bring peace to the most people and, you know, if the goals are good, then you do what you can do. What are his options? Start a new government, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I like that. And there's definitely something to be said for that. You think of Ron Swanson on Parks and Rec, where he... This is like the opposite, where he stays and he wants to stay in his position as head of the parks department in order to do as little as possible. Yeah. So right. no one else could come into that position and do more for the government. <laughs> yeah, that show walked a really interesting line with him because on the one hand, he said those things and he some of the actions supported it, that, those statements. But on the other hand, he did everything he could to support Leslie, and she was the exact opposite right. of wanting to get as much done as possible. And that's the so, real satisfying end to his arc, is that you find out that he did it all in the end for friendship. Right. It was yeah. the real reason that he did it. Right. He had friends yeah. that were incredibly devoted to the government, so F you, Ron. Yeah. That really backfired, didn't it, buddy? But yeah, there's definitely something to be said for being in that position and deciding to do could say good with it so yeah but then like you said there's still those little things bursting it on jonas uh bringing up the trebuchet thing with uh with edmure which jamie thinks about i think he still feels like a little bad about it but that he did it yeah he's trying to pretend he doesn't feel bad but i think he does feel a little bit bad about it um what else you got i've only got I've only got uh, maybe a couple more things. Okay. One of them is... I got one main sex. thing. Okay. The, the sex flirting stuff. The Hildy stuff? The Hildy stuff. Okay. And the other one is just Penny Tree stuff. Uh-huh. Let's go with the Penny Tree stuff. We'll end my, with the fun sex stuff. My, my stuff will... Uh, your stuff will probably segue into my stuff with Hildy. So yeah, let's do Penny Tree. So I don't, I don't know that I have much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just I find it interesting. These kind of they seem like throwaways. Been a royal fife for a hundred years, and a hundred years gets it's it's almost thrown in there. Like it's not exactly a hundred years. It's you know around a hundred years, maybe ish. Yeah, right. Um, but you know, so we're looking at like two hundred AC, right? Yep. There's a there's a thread on Reddit about this. Uh, a little town called Penny Tree Thread. Um, Dunk would have been eight in the year two hundred. Bittersteel and Blood Raven would have been, I think, around twenty-five, around two hundred. Um, for those that don't remember, Bittersteel uh, was Barba's son through yeah. uh, Barba Bracken through um, Aegon Fourth. Oh Jesus, which one is it? Aegon the Fourth. Aegon, yeah, right. Yeah. Through Aegon the Fourth, the unworthy, the unworthy. I mix up the nicknames all the time. And Blood Raven through Missy, right? Through mm. Missy Blackwood. Um, but something happened a hundred years ago. They were like, Penny Tree's a fife now to the royal to the to the royal throne, not under either of your control. And neither of them fight for it, neither of them seem to care about it. Do you have any any idea? Like what could have caused this? Like what event spurred this on? Uh no. <laughs> it was, so I, so I realized there, I'd be in a really uncomfortable position I, I, to answer that. I know there was, you know, there's disputes and stuff like that that's talked about in this chapter. 
Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I almost got the impression that, you know, Blackwood said it was theirs, Bracken said it was theirs, fight, 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 until the government finally just stepped in and said, you know what? It's neither of yours. It's ours now. So, screw you guys. I uh, like that. Here, here's here's what I'm going to, here's in my head canon on it, and I have no evidence. I'd like to think it was more like 80 years ago. Okay. And what really happened was that Dunk was with Egg. He told him about his mentor from Penny Tree, Arlen. Arlen, from, yeah. Of Penny Tree. And due to the conflicts you're talking about, the back and forth always, that Dunk worked through Egg to get this to happen. To just kind of name Penny Tree this peaceful, off-limits kind of place that's right. a royal fiefdom and not to be messed with. That's mm-hmm. my headcanon. I don't I like have anything that. to support it. I just like the idea. Throughout the, in support of what you're saying, throughout, you know, the, the Duncan Egg adventures, he brings up Penny Tree as, you know, at that point, he doesn't even know where Penny Tree, Penny Tree is, Yeah, right? he's never been there. Yeah. He's never been yeah. there. He's not even, if he, he couldn't find it on a map. Um, but uh, it always kind of seemed like it was a place he wanted to go visit, you know? And, yeah. And so I, I like that. You know, he always kind of held Sir Arlen in higher regard. And that would be a cool thing to do to kind of honor Arlen's memory. I like that. And also, here's his descendant. I didn't even think about this till now. Walking into Penny Tree, oh, so many years later. Mm. There she is. There she is. Look at you go. Uh, This is episode 69. 69, dude! We you gotta throw some uh, very much villain heads in there. So, yeah. What were you gonna say? Sorry? I was gonna... You had. You said you had some sex stuff, so... Well, just in general, mm-hmm. Jamie's flirting. Mm-hmm. Jamie's interested. Yep. Is Jamie gonna sex? I think he wants to, man. I do, too. I think he... I so not to cast any sort of dishonor on, you know, the the king's guard or anything, just because his world has opened up in all sorts of ways, right? Mm. And one of those ways is oh my god, there are women besides Cersei. Yep. And he doesn't get to explore all these other things he gets to explore. He's empowered to do so and he is doing it. And this one, I think he's interested. Oh, yeah. He says that the way she moves is provocative and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, two things on Hildy, actually. Um, and that's the first one, is that I think George is trying to say a couple things with this. And the first is that, you said it very well, the world has opened up to him now. Uh just a few chapters back, we had a big talk on this with Pia, right? Mm-hmm. In the bathtub. And yep. he he says that, um, I copied and pasted the quote so that I have it here. Uh, Jamie was uncomfortably aware of the curve of hip and breast beneath her rough, spru- rough spun brown dress. Uh, in this one, you know, you know, he talks about all sorts of things with Hildy. She's naked in front of him. Um, and I think that that's indicative. I think George is trying to say without saying that now that he's kind of done with Cersei, 
this is the proof. He's starting to notice the world is opening up. Mm. And uh, mm. He, he was grateful when the bath was deep enough to conceal his arousal. <laughs> I love that line. Been there. Right? I don't know. Maybe not. Probably not. Actually. Have you seen Have you seen the the new Jumanji? No, no, I haven't. It's so funny. I really like it. Really, Jack Black's character is a girl. It's a girl trapped in his body. A teenage girl oh, is trapped in his body, and it's oh my gosh, they they do it so it's so funny when she has to pee for the first time with a penis. Uh huh. It's just hilarious, and then. It's Jack Black's body hugging this really hot guy who the teenage girl inside of Jack Black kind of <laughs> likes. <laughs> and they're done hugging and they step away. And Dwayne Johnson and Kevin Hart, characters in the show, both uh, be like, uh, Bethany, you got to you gotta like turn away. because." Uh, and they kind of point down and she's like, oh my gosh, I can't even control this thing. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it's really funny. Um it's not going to win any awards, but if you just want a good, lighthearted laugh, go watch the new Jumanji. It's, is it okay it's, for the kids, or is it, what is it? Is it PG-13? It's, it's got some language. It's PG-13. Um, yeah. It's got some scary-ish moments. I thought the original Jumanji was scarier for kids. Yeah. This one's more comedically inclined. <laughs> but, you know, you got Kevin Hart in a movie. You're going to have some some swearing Yep. It may or may not surprise you that language is not a problem. Not a problem at my house. Then show him Jumanji. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so sorry, we're going a long time on this. The other thing that I found that may be something that George is trying to say here, and maybe I'm looking too far into it, <clears throat> but I would I would suggest that Jamie's not just Randy. Um, that Jamie can see past the I'm trying to say this in a sensitive way parts that are not uncon that are not conventionally beautiful about a person right what I mean by that is Pia's got this messed up face now from getting the crap beat out of her yet Jamie still finds something about her attractive uh, he still is attracted to her in some way hildy it mentions that maybe she's a little bit hairier than he would like uh it mentions she's dirty right she was just kind of dirty um but he still is kind of turned on to her and what i think you might be trying to say here is that he can still find brienne attractive even if she is not conventionally beautiful um we know that there's a lot more disfigurement going on too with her face getting eaten off by biter and I can't help but wonder if George is saying that Jamie can see past that stuff. And st- like Cersei was hot, right? And maybe that he's he's getting over her. He's getting over that too. And he's learning to look kind of deeper into mannerisms, into personality. This Hildy girl was very playful and he found that attractive. That maybe he's looking past the conventional beauty. Does that make sense? Am I looking too far into this? What you're saying makes sense. I'm not sure I agree with you. Okay. But I don't know how to structure an argument that says I, why I disagree. I, I think it's... I think it's because the things he focuses on most are still her turnips and her... 
Uh-huh. I don't remember the word he uses to describe her vagina, but it looks. It seems her, like he's still focusing on. I'm going to get still really focusing close to the, the money parts. Her mound. Right. I mean, he, <laughs> I, I get what you're trying to say. The dirty thing. I don't remember the face thing. Actually, she's been beaten. Oh, I, I was mentioning Pia. Pia. Oh, Pia. Okay. So going back to Pia. Um, I mean, maybe, maybe. I, I, to me, I'm it, not it, even it, saying it, that it, he recognizes it. Yeah, I, to me it lays out the opposite. That, like, these things that are unattractive, he's so horny that he's looking straight past them. I could see that too. But but maybe. I could see that I, too. I'd love it. Look, if we got another chapter in this book from Brienne or Jamie, I don't know whether she's got an honor guard with her or whether it's just the two of them on the road, but I'd love for them to just shag before they get back to the Hollow Hill. It'd be oh, awesome. Boy. It'd that's, be best chapter in the series, perhaps. That, that's part of my uh, my head canon. Saving but, it for the dad, but since oh, it's sorry. the last chapter, why not? Right? <laughs> <laughs> but I, yeah, I, it'd be awesome. Yeah. I, and maybe that is what he's trying to set up. I don't know. I see it. I see it prefaced by like a fight, like a yeah. Mister and Missus Smith kind of deal, right? You know, where they're like fighting each other, and then, bam. Yeah, I mean, we're way off in speculation territory now, but something where, like, she's trying to hint at him at what's coming uh-huh. and does so in some sort of an insulting way, and he comes back at her insulting, and... and they're, like, arguing and stuff. Yeah, they're like, Ar- yeah, yeah, it gets... They yeah. get right in each other's faces. Yeah, something. And then just, bam! And then he bites her. Oh, no. On the other cheek. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on. You got anything else for Jamie? No. But okay. now I want to talk about that some more. Oh, jeez, Matt. I'm just teasing. <laughs> uh, our, little, our, our friend in Tonga will, will be happy. Yeah. Jamie let Honor feel his spurs. I did think it was telling that Jamie throughout this chapter and the last one is writing Honor rather than Glory. Mm. Hmm. Mentions that a couple times in the chapter, actually. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Should we go to John? Johnny boy. Okay. Where we're going up north where the winter's cold and the icicles bloom like the bluest rose. We haven't met his mom, but we love his wolf. He's John Snow. Oh, can't you see that you were born to stand by my side and I was born to be with you. You were born to be my bride. You're the other half of what I am. You're the missing piece and I love you more than ever with that love that doesn't cease. That, my friend, was Bob frickin' Dylan who wrote those lyrics. Uh, perhaps even more unlikely than that is the couple we see before us about to be wed beneath the shadow of the wall. Alice Carstark, the gray girl on the dying horse, and Sigorn, a wildling, a newly styled Magnar of Thin after the death of his father. They both stand before Melisandre, on the other side of a fire-blazing ditch, there to join them by the power of the Lord of Light. Surprisingly, Alice appears neither nervous nor scared. Let him be scared of me, she tells Jon Snow, who is taking on the role of giving her away. For his part, Sigorn does seem nervous, almost like a boy as he looks upon his soon-to-be bride. He's even tender as he places his robe uh, ceremonially about her shoulders. 
Then side by side, they leap over the fire in the ditch, with Melisandre concluding what fire joins none may put asunder. And the new house, Then, is officially formed south of the wall. All in all, considering the wedding planners were all, you know, brothers of the night's watch, it was a pretty successful wedding. Uh, If this seems an unlikely scene, you're right. But don't worry, it's all John's idea. Remember, Alice fled to the wall in order to get away from her uncle Cregan, who's actually a cousin, uh, who was plotting with his father, Arnulf, to marry Alice in a play to take over Carhold. Knowing this, John met Cregan before he could even reach Castle Black, took him prisoner, and sent him for a timeout in the wall's ice cells. Uh, This hastily prepared marriage then was in response to this and a few other things that we may discuss uh, during our chat of this chapter. But for now, her marrying Sigorn keeps her from having to marry Cregan. So as the wedding ceremony ends and guests head to the mess hall for the reception, John finds himself in conversation with Melisandre. Couple things here. She first warns him about the fool Patchface, saying that creature is dangerous and that she's seen his face in her flames with skulls about him and lips red with blood. Despite these clear visions of Patchface, however, she sees nothing of Stannis. When I search for him, all I see is snow, she admits to John. Same with Mance at Winterfell, only snow. Now, we know it's snowing where Stannis and Mance are, but perhaps Mel clarifies what she means by snow, perhaps, when she tells Jon, I see your face every time I look into the flames. Warning, however, that when she does, he is surrounded by danger. Keep Ghost close to you, she advises. Jon kind of respectfully poo-poos her warnings, reminding her that she kind of missed the mark on this Alice Karstark thing. Uh, You said the girl was Arya, and it wasn't. Ah, but I wasn't wrong, says Mel, explaining that the vision was true, but that her reading of it was false. She is mortal and mortal's heir. Uh, John then makes another quick stop off at the ice cells to visit his new captive, Cregan, who is understandably not pleased when John tells him of what just occurred with the whole wedding thing, and that Carhold will now be run by a dude who's lived his whole life far north of the wall. Cregan claims Carhold will never accept Sigorn as their lord, but John disagrees based on Alice's confidence that she can keep the peace. If not, well, Sigorn has 200 fens to help get things moving. John offers terms. All those not involved in this whole Arnulf Cregan takeover plot can, of course, stay at Carhold. All the men who are involved can take the black. Never, Cregan answers, and John leaves, wondering what his father Eddard or Uncle Benjen might do or have done in his place. John finally arrives at the mess hall for the great feast. He sees two mountain clan leaders, Old Flint and the Nori, who came down for the wedding, bringing with them wet nurses for Gilly's baby. John didn't believe for a moment that was the only reason they came, though, but for now he contents himself with the fact that they seem to be having a good time despite uh, having witnessed a marriage in the north, hallowed by a god not their own. His main chatting buddy at the feast is actually Alice Karstark Fenn, who this reader notices a refreshing, playful chemistry between the two. They talk about the Fens as well as the sad state of Carhold. 
uh, before Alice takes her leave of him to go will her new husband into dancing with her, John receives a message from Cotter Pike that his fleet has finally set sail for Hardhome. I mean, the conditions aren't good, but it's good news in the sense that as something that John wants done is actually happening. Uh, later, John is once again approached by Sir Axel Florent, who is continuing his creepy quest to discover the whereabouts of Princess Val. John continues to rebuff him without fully telling him that Val's north of the wall right now. And Florent accuses him of keeping her for himself in hopes of regaining his father's seat. Sir Axel, if you are truly the queen's hand, I pity her grace, John replies in disgust. I love that line. I had to put it in the summary. As John is about to take his leave, the blast of a war horn is heard. One blast, rangers returning. Then it came again, two blasts. Oh boy, who could it be? They wait, five heartbeats passed, ten heartbeats, twenty heartbeats. Then John could breathe again. Two blasts, he announces, wildlings, Val. The chapter ends with him realizing Tormund Giant's Bane had returned at last. There you go. Or so he assumes. Yeah. Ugh, Axel Florent is the worst. Ugh. What a greasy old dude. If you've Just broken her to saddle. Mm-hmm. Ugh, I threw up a little bit yeah. in my mouth. He's just that. terrible. He's just terrible. Ugh. It's the type of guy that you see why Stannis left him. <laughs> I think, doesn't John say that about all these guys? Yep. You, in you this can, chapter? You can see why they didn't get to go fight yeah. But anyway. Yeah. I mean, does Stannis care at all about his wife? No. Leaves her with these guys. No. He kind of dote dote on her and kind of, you know, seek her favor. But yep. He shunned her bed for years, which you know that doesn't require hatred, but indifference. Which Is he can banging sometimes Mel? Be worse. Is he banging Mel, do you think? Some people infer that. It's never I know outright th- said. I think yeah. it is. I think I think there's something sexual about the yeah. uh potentially the the shadow babies and stuff like that. Yeah, it um, seems likely. It's implied. Yeah. Yep. Stannis is the kind of guy though that might do that to get the shadow baby and not do it more. Sure. Like like the sex is a look. This is a business transaction. You will take my seed, and you will do this with it, and I will get a shadow baby, and this will not happen again. Like he's the kind of guy that might like that might not actually fall into this passion, right? If anyone wouldn't, <laughs> <laughs> my bets on this old teeth grinder. Yeah, my heavens. Yeah. Um, but no, he didn't care about Solis. It's sad. He's with her because he's Stannis. And he's got to be. He, but he cares about his daughter. I, I don't know. I just feel like he should have left some better men. I, I know he's trying to win a war and everything, but these guys are awful. Yep. He he cares about... he. It's sad because I don't think he 
cares that much for Shireen either. It's mm. his offspring, and it's the one he's got. Oh, no. I think it goes that far. It's an heir. I think it goes that far. You know me. I'm not as big of a John fan as some people. So You mean Stannis? Stannis. That's what I said. No, it wasn't. Sure you did. <laughs> Uh, but speaking of John, speaking of John, okay, <laughs> we got a lot to go talk about him, with John. Oh my heavens! As chapters go for him, this is about as happy as it gets. <sighs> is it? This is, yeah, this is an up chapter. You got a wedding. You got yeah. some, a little flirty, flirty. You got a successful mission. Usually, sends people out into the wild and they die, and now that people are coming back, he mm-hmm. gets a successful notification that the ships that he wants are launching. Dude. It's a good chapter for John, right? He's got Bowen Marsh, who's not, who's, who's getting more belligerent by the day. (laughs) Othel Yarwick, who's another in high leadership, more belligerent by the day. John. Yeah. So you're saying the direction we see occurring is not, uh, is not, an accurate reflection of what's really of the of the actual current. Things are going well for John. Here's the problem: John is acting like a lord. He's acting like Eddard Stark right now. Mm. He's acting like the Warden of the North should act. He's thinking about the North as a whole. He's actually thinking about the world as a whole. He's thinking about all of Westeros as a whole. He's thinking like a ruler. Here's the problem. He's not a ruler. He's the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. And I get what he's doing, and I love that he's doing it. But I'm starting to become more and more empathetic with Bowen Marsh and Othel Yarwick. In the sense, not that I agree with them, but I see why they are so discontented. Do you know what I mean? I get it. I want to ask a follow-up question. I love that John's doing it. I love that he is he is putting the realm first and that he's putting humanity first. But I get why people are upset with him. But but they're like a military order. Uh-huh. Right? I mean, they should be—he should be able to operate the way he's operating. Right? Really? You, you think? This is, if it's a military order— you follow orders or else, right? I mean, you, you you can give opinions, but in the end, you're given an order and you do it. And they shouldn't be... I mean, sure, in the history of the world, treason has occurred, but... And, and I'm not saying, like, he shouldn't try to lead better, you know, and be more considerate. But, like... I, like, do I... As Do I feel as... like Bowen and the people have have a good argument? I don't. No, not really. I mean, it's a military order. They're supposed to do what they're told. And they I, are I think supposed John... to do what they're told. But what if your leader starts going off as they perceive it, going off the handle? Yeah, he's he's approving. <laughs> Here's what no, I right. he's, he's so... talking about a ruler. He is setting up marriages between houses. Yeah. And he's the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. He has zero authority to do that. And not yeah, only is he true. is he setting up marriages between how be, well a major house in the north, he's doing it with wildlings. Yeah. He's not only allowing wildlings south of the wall, he's putting them in a position of authority at yeah. the carhold which is very close to the wall. Yeah. 
he's getting involved no, right. with it's, inheritance it's, issues. Yeah, that's that's way beyond his scope. You're right. And he even warned Stannis about giving northern castles to southern lords. He's like, that won't go over well if you do that, Stannis. He did that in an earlier chapter. Yeah. And now he's giving one to a wildling. I have a little uh, a Song of Ice and Fire quote of the day calendar. Uh-huh. Like one quote every day. And that 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 quote from John came up last week sometime. Oh, cool. It was like, How it, timely. It was like, my brothers have bled for these castles. My brothers built these. I can't just give them away. They aren't mine to give or something. And you just gave one to a wildling. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I get what he's trying to do. I appreciate that he's doing it. Oh my gosh, it's so refreshing to see someone who sees the big picture. But do yeah. I understand where Bowen's coming going, coming from? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I get it. Okay, I, and and it is, I mean, with uh, I'll screw it up. I'm, I'm by no means an expert with, with our military, but... There is there are laws in our military too that are like you have to follow your orders mm-hmm. unless you realize that your orders are treasonous and then it's your job not to follow them and to do with right. something else. So, right. uh, so and yeah, I love that he's doing it for Alice. It's it's great. I get it. I totally get it. But I understand too. Yeah, I get it. It doesn't look good. In his mind, yeah, though, I mean, he has to do it, and that's something I just love and admire about John. There's no other alternative for him. He's got to do this, and I love that about him. Does so. he have to? He could have just kept her as a guest there. In his mind, yeah, you're right. He could have. But this is his best way to do what she wants, but also, in his mind, build up allies and stuff. Yeah. He wants... Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty brilliant move from that perspective. Right. He immediately gains the Fens as allies at Carhold. It's, he's only got 200 people or something, I think I read. A smallish number of Fens, but... Uh, I get the idea you know, that he's respected, though, too. Amongst yeah. the, many of the wildlings beyond the right. Fens. But, right. But this is a... It's interesting. Um, Alice says this, and I think she means it in in a good way. Mm-hmm. Um you know, like as a thank you to John, but she says, Carhold yeah. remembers. Isn't that interesting? And, and I was like, where does this come from? Carhold remembers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the similar to the North remembers, mm-hmm. which, what is that referring to? Um, is that referring to just the fray incident or is it something older? Um, mm-hmm. And I went back and looked mm-hmm. and search of ice and fire.com. Everyone, if you don't know what it is, it's your friend. Uh, and I found this from Rob right before he's about to execute uh, Rickard Karstark. Alice's dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's Catelyn saying this. He might. There are sons who hate their fathers, and in a stroke you will make him Lord of Carhold. She's referring to Harry, and mm-hmm. they're talking about the benefits and negatives to to actually beheading rickard Mm -hmm. rob shook his head even if harrion were that sort he could never openly forgive his father's killer his own men would turn on him these are northmen uncle the north remembers Mm -hmm. so the north remembers is a a phrase that precedes you know red wedding stuff sure yeah yep and hearing alice say carhold remembers give you kind of an ominous feeling 
a little, but I don't, I don't get that from Alice at all. It doesn't narratively work for where George has led us, but it just, something didn't sit right with me about it. And I think I kind of barely remembered this passage about Rickard and yeah, it, it, he seems to have a friend in Alice, but Carhold may not be as easy to give in as maybe he thinks. Yeah. Nice reach around. Um, yeah. Interesting. Right. That's yeah. all I got. I don't have my any more initial, profound than that. Yeah, my initial reading of it was Carhold remembers in that I, I will remember what you have done for me. For me, right. Yeah, yeah that's that, that's the... I think that's the translation we're getting and, and that George was going for. But... Maybe. Maybe not. Yeah, I don't know. P.S. I think Alice is totally into John. Yeah, it seems pretty clear. Seems pretty clear. She seems kind of into her new husband as well. You know, she I mean, does. maybe she's just a young girl with not a lot of options, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> but, Let him be scared of me. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, and bold. it talked about how their breath mingled and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. How yeah. cool would that be if that worked out? Yeah. Let me ask you this: Why did he let Melisander do this ceremony under the watch of the Lord? Right. Huh? Awfully weird question. It's a weird question? No, off, not a weird question. I'm sorry. Awfully weird choice by yes. John. There's two better choices, at least. I mean, well, really just one. It should be an old god ceremony. Old gods. Of... Heart tree. Yeah. Why? Why does? Where does the old god enter into this? Or, I mean, where does Rolor enter into this, rather? Uh, it's, it's throwing a bone to Melisandre, I think. She wants... <clears throat> I think he sees that... You know, Melisandre has Stannis's ear, and for yeah. Stannis to legitimize this and support the marriage that just occurred, yeah. Melisandre's got to be behind it too. And, and so, they do make a note about that as well—that Stannis isn't mm-hmm. going to be happy when he comes back, if he comes back uh, with this marriage. He would have rather married one of his men to Alice, right? And so maybe by throwing a bone to Melisandre, that'll help smooth the waters, as well as Selyse and and those yeah. other followers of the lord of light and it should be noted too that some of those followers of the lord of light are now black brothers she's converted some people few have converted yeah they've been swayed by her showmanship and her apparent power Mm -hmm. um it's the religion that's sweeping the nation right yeah (laughs) like savas is the game popular the game right now Yeah. yeah Ooh, that's a parallel let's write an essay on that there you go. Sivas and the Red God. How are they related? <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's awfully puzzling. Doesn't seem to make sense. If you want Northern buy-in to this, you know, he talks yeah. about war, yeah, the old Flint and the Nori, you know. Yeah. You really want to have the marriage done this way? Yeah. I get it. I get it. Yeah, the Flint and the Nori can't be can't be too pleased with what they're seeing. You don't. It's weird. It's like their presence is noted, but there's no sort of opinion about their demeanor. Yeah, they drank drinking. and they didn't turn their cups over, so that's good. Uh-huh. But no, we'll take it. <laughs> I didn't get a nod or a smile or a shake of the head, or they don't look downtrodden or get nothing. Just they drank and they didn't pour their cups over, so I guess it's okay. Be interesting to see where that goes. Yeah. Flint and the Nori. Also, they got there quick. I mean, I, I guess I don't know how long 
how long the car starts have been in the ice cells and how long they were prepping this wedding, but that's not that short a journey from those foothills, those mountains. Mm -hmm. Especially in this weather. In the snow. And we do know that the mountain clans travel better in the snow. But they do with those horses and the the, the, the tennis rackets on their feet. These but, guys aren't uh, spring chickens either. So. No, and and do you do? You, I mean, I guess they did. We're quibbling over some silly details tonight. But like, did John send out invitations to this wedding? <laughs> like, did like did he really spare Black Brothers to like get on horses and like go? He did everything ravens, else, I guess. right? Yeah. <laughs> it's baffling. Like, they found some lace for Alice to wear in her hair. Yeah, they, they came yeah. up with a new sigil for House Thin. Like, yeah, that was, was pretty cool. I was proud of the Black Brothers for stepping up and wow. throwing this thing together. <laughs> yeah, they do send you, out invites. Uh, do you want to talk about any of these visions from Mel, or save that for Davos After Dark? I think Davos is our best place for that one, buddy. Yeah, I guess the only is thing there I'll a say specific is, ones that? I'm well, the only thing I'll say is this. Uh, her hard-headedness about Stannis being Azor Ahai and um, the smoke and salt. And she's like, he's from Dragonstone, the smoke and the salt. And John's like, no. Like, he ruled at Dragonstone, but he wasn't born there. Mm-hmm. Like, find you got to find something else that fits here, lady. Yeah, it's, it's like where you decide on <clears throat> the person and then try to make, make it the fit. details fit the person. Like many theory makers. Yeah, we've talked about oh, this before, where you yeah. decide where you want it to go, and then you make it fit with what we'll you want. We'll see if we fall in that trap with Team John here in, in a week. We probably are. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you got anything else? No. The uh, The big thing for me was John acting like a ruler instead of the Lord Commander, and you humored me there, so... I did, and you you won me over a little bit, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's certainly not doing a perfect job. He's certainly getting to the point where it's like, I'm doing this, follow your orders, because yeah. like, he's tired of explaining himself. At some point, you have to just do that. Yeah, but he, but he, has, he is going beyond his scope of power. You're right. Yes. And yeah. I do it with, I do it with my kids sometimes. I try never to use the, because I'm your dad line when yeah. I ask my kids to do something. I try to give them reasons for everything I ask them to do. But if they just keep at me and keep at me, I will get to the point eventually where I say, because I'm your dad. Mm-hmm. And that's just where John's getting. I mean, yeah. and I love him for it. Again, I'm not saying that what John's doing is wrong. I'm just saying that I see Bowen's side. Yeah. That's it. Um... Okay, well, let's let's go ahead and move to uh, Davos After Dark then, yeah? You good for that? Yes, please. All right. Let's do it. So, thanks everybody for joining us. It's time now for us to enter the dark uh, path of spoilers. Uh, and we're going to go into Davos After Dark now. So if you don't want to be spoiled for the remaining, I don't know what it is, 20 chapters or whatever, uh, <laughs> just smash the device that you're using to listen to real quick because we're going to jump into some spoilery things that will will definitely get out of hand. So we'll see you in three weeks. Otherwise, stick with us. We're going to get right started right now. Right now. Davos After Dark. Uh, do you want to just deal with uh, 
deal with the Flint Norris thing right away. Yeah, the Mel stuff right away since we're here. Yeah, while we're so on, I, the, while we're thinking about it, I have less than nothing on Flint and Nori. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they're there. I don't know how they knew to be there. I don't really know what their what their purpose is. I didn't even read ahead to the pink letter chapter to see how they respond, uh, or if they're still there when that happens. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I got nothing. The the last they're they're they figure pretty prominently in. Now I can't remember if it's the next chapter or the one right after this one. Um, in that uh, you get, I was trying not to spoil it, but you get Bowen Marsh just really coming on strong to uh, yeah. to John <clears throat> and letting the wildling south and everything and all that. And the Nori and Old Flint, their big arguments are they're just worried that one of them says... You know, you can settle these guys on the gift. That's your mistake to make, John. But if they come, if they step yeah. even one foot into our lands, we're cutting heads off, right? Okay, so they're there pretty... They're they're there basically just to say, hey, careful. Don't right. infringe on our land. Okay. I, I think it's partly that and to just see what John's intentions are. Like, yeah. they want to see for themselves. Are you... Is this going to turn into something where they start in one place, but they start expanding? Like, what kind of leeway are you giving them? And right. John kind of wins them over when he talks about how many of the wildlings they let south, they're going to keep them in the castles along the walls. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And also that he's taking hostages. You remember, he, he takes 100 right. hostages. Uh, mm-hmm. And that seems to kind of bring them around to the idea a little bit more. But you can tell they're still wary. They're kind of like, okay, but... You know, if this yeah. if this turns bad, we're not going to hold back. Right. So, okay. So I, I think part of it is Explain. just them trying to figure out that uh, the the GNC theory out there suggests that perhaps they're there also to assess John. Oh yeah. And see if he is someone they can get behind. A leader that they can truly follow. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. All right, let's talk Mel. Okay, here we go, buddy. <laughs> uh, the hints of unrest are there. <laughs> Some Black Brothers protesting the wedding. Bowen Marsh, as you said, becoming just kind of an adamant enemy of pretty much everything John decides to do. You throw Mel's warnings on top. You know, like, there are daggers for your for you, dude. Like, pay yep. attention. I mean, how how did we miss this on a first-time read that this was coming? How are we surprised at John's murder at the end of these books? And we shouldn't be. Eddard Stark got his head chopped off in the first book. Yeah. We should be more in tune with this stuff, right? But I think we cloak cloak John in plot armor, man. Yeah, we may. Maybe. Maybe. Because it's there. You are so right, buddy. And it gets worse and worse. So obvious. She, I mean, it's at one point in this chapter, I think three paragraphs in a row, she's just like, war, she's just straight up warning him. Mm-hmm. You need to be careful. Keep Ghost close. It's coming for you soon. And he's just like, yeah, 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 it's fine. Yeah, remember how you uh, really screwed up that uh, gray girl on Dying Horse thing? Yeah, okay. Right. Like, <laughs> ugh. Yep. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Uh... 
All I see is snow. Eh. I don't know. You got anything there? Just making the distinction of the lowercase and uppercase letters. Yeah. I think I've paid attention to that in other aspects of this podcast before, but uh, in Melisandre's POV chapter, she says, all I see is snow. Snow is capitalized. Suggesting Jon Snow, obviously. Right. Um, and this one says, all I see is snow. It's lowercase. Because John Obviously, wouldn't capitalize it. Because John, it comes from John's perspective. So he's hearing, Right. I just see snow, which is actually a very viable explanation. We know that they are snowed in. Mance is snowed in. Stannis is snowed yeah. in. She, you know, that could very well be a reason that she's not seeing them because they can't even see, you know, 10 feet ahead of them. I had a stupid little but, thought that I've never seen anywhere, hmm. which was just that maybe she can't get a good vision on Stannis or others that are far away mm -hmm. because the great other, her nemesis is actually like interfering with her, with her magic, with her visions. She sees snow because that is a tool of the great other of the cold, the snow to like inter like static, like interference with her visions. That's fascinating. Hmm. was earlier. We had the instances where her powers seem to be heightened. Mm -hmm. by being up north yeah that's true Talked about even she'd like she could like melt ice just by being close to it and stuff so this would be the opposite then kind maybe of would... but the weather up until the snow started was unseasonably good they talked about yeah like he john had, you know in the chapter where the heads were brought back to him they talked yeah. about how it was like a clear day and stuff it was still cold but it's like, oh, that's kind of a surprise how nice it is outside. Um, so maybe with the snows hitting this hard, that does mess things up a little bit. And if the snows are from the enemy, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's potential there, buddy. Yeah, but, I got nothing. It's just uh, a thought. Like maybe it really does just mean snow. But 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 her her capitalizing the word really is kind of a dagger to that theory. Right. That she's she's literally seeing a human, John Snow. Well, like I said in my in the, my summary, she even says, "I see you all the time." Yeah. In the context of, you're in danger. She's not saying I see you as Azora High. She still is stubbornly supporting Stannis, obviously, at she least is. outwardly, um, and inwardly but, too, as we see from the uh, her POV chapter. But, but why is she? You know, it's 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 good quality writing, and maybe that's the only answer we need. But like. Why is she coy with all I see is snow? Mm -hmm. She could say, when I search for Stannis, I see you. Right. Which she does say later. So yeah, what... But instead of all I see is snow, which right. leaves it open to interpretation. Mm -hmm. It's like she's trying to be clever and sacrificing her meaning on purpose. Mm -hmm. When really she's trying to convince him, so I... Ugh, I don't know. So that leads one to believe that she is saying that it's static. She's looking into it, and she, it's just staticky from the snow. Maybe, but she's capitalizing but, the word. So, but yeah, unless she, unless she's anthropomorphizing the snow to be the other, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Anyway. I'm I'm fifty fifty on it, buddy, because like I said in her POV chapter, all I see is snow capitalized, and then this chapter she does say, "I see you, and you're in danger." Right after yeah. she says the all I said is, all I see is snow, yeah. and 
Okay, so Melisandre, if you see him, then what? Besides danger, do you see more than that he's just in danger and you're being coy about it, like you said? Are you starting yeah. to falter a little bit on Stannis? I yeah, I, yep. I don't know. It doesn't seem like she's faltering on Stannis. It doesn't seem that way. I would but, agree. Yeah, it also seems like she's misreading the signs. If she's searching for Stannis, if that's what her heart is looking for, and she sees Jon Snow, she's clearly not... She's willfully not reading the fires correctly. She says in this chapter, that was my mistake, not, you know, not a bad vision. I wasn't wrong. The vision wasn't wrong. I was. She's willfully ignoring what the vision is telling her. Yep. She's not learning her lesson. Yeah. <laughs> because she wanted, uh, she wanted that gray girl to be Arya. Yeah. Right. To show I don't John have the energy to talk patch face. I don't have anything unique to say. Do you? Um... I agree with the assessment that's out there that the uh, he's surrounded by skulls and his lips red with blood could indicate that Patchface is in danger and not that he is the danger. Mm. Mm. So, and using that, using the um, precedence of when Melisandre sees skulls about Jon Snow with him he's being also in, in danger. danger. So yeah. if they're seeing skulls about Patchface, yeah, you know, I, I but he's alive and well, way. right? For he now, meet it. Yeah, yep. I mean, yep. a dangerous creature. Uh huh. So she's just wrong about that, then. Right. Uh, Radio Westeros posits something that I thought was interesting as well. That you know, a lot of this seems to lead to maybe Shireen becoming a sacrifice. Um, and with Patchface's apparent loyalty to Shireen, he could be someone that gets in the way. Not that he's evil, but he gets in the way of Melisandre. So mm. he's evil to Melisandre because yeah, right. he gets in her way trying to defend Shireen and then is killed in the act of it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, go ahead. That's it. Oh, okay. Um, we kind of actually already did the Jamie and Brienne fun explosion. We did. That's all we I really it. had on it. I want them to we, do it. Yeah. We kind of already covered that. We couldn't wait. And I think we uh, talked about it in an episode a while back of there potentially being a trial by combat and Brienne, Brienne standing in for Jamie as as his champion and how interesting that might be. I don't know. Yeah. All right, let's go to Hooded Man. Okay. Uh, so I wrote down, like, I did a little bit of research today of just all the stuff that's kind of out there. Sure. And the theories. Uh, I came across a couple I didn't know. Okay. Uh, before. Um, There's one I hadn't thought about before that I really liked. Oh, what is it? Uh, the Hal Mullen one. Yeah? Yep. Yeah. You want to go ahead and outline that one? Uh... So Hallis Mullen, he's got a connection in the north. He already worked at uh, Winterfell. Um, he was already headed there north with Eddard's bones, right? He was dispatched yes. to take Eddard's bones from King's Landing back up to the north, and no one ever heard from him. In fact, Barbary Dustin said that they are keeping an eye out for him, and if she ever, if they found him, they weren't going to let him pass. They weren't going to let him 
through. So she was going to take Eddard's bones and not allow them to be interred in Winterfell. How cool would it be if he's already gotten past <laughs> her and into the crypts? Maybe he like blended in with the Bolton Frey army as they marched up and kind of went up there with them and uh, already put the bones down in the crypts and it's there and all good. But I like the fact that he's already up north. He's got a reason to already be going up north because he's taken the bones up there. He knows who Theon is. Um, Catelyn in, I believe it's Clash, talks about how he's got a very direct way of speaking and how he always points out the obvious. Yep. And the way that he speaks with Theon is very direct. So I find that one an intriguing one that I really hadn't considered before. Yeah. Certainly others. There are. So uh, there's also a case that it could not be him. The The arguments against him are, mm-hmm. well, at least from my perspective, he was sent with the bones well bef- well after yeah. Moat Caitlin had already been taken. Mm-hmm. So like he might not have been able to make it through. I don't know, right? But it's he could have had to give up, right? <laughs> Leave yeah. the bones somewhere. And he could have made contact with Howland Reed and been hanging out with them. Could have been. And yeah. also Kat makes her way up to Hagsmire and up near near there as well. Yeah. At some point. It's it's mentioned in one of those chapters that she's up there with the the Brotherhood. Mm-hmm. And uh so he could have rejoined them. There is at the at the scene we just had with Jamie under the Hollow Hill, mm-hmm. uh it's noted that there is a, a man of the you know, the accent of the north, north which I think yeah. is the first time we've ever heard that phrase. Uh the accents of the north. And you know, Eddard sent like fifty of his own household guard, I think, on that mission. So it could have been just some rando, right? But it also could be Hal Mullen. We kind of assume it's group. Harwin, just knowing could, that he's already with the Brotherhood without banners. It could also be Harwin, right? That's who or, I always assumed it was, and this was the right. first time it cast some sort of doubt in me. The the re- well, the reason you think it wouldn't be is that we've mentioned harwin a bunch of times mm-hmm. and like why wouldn't why wouldn't he just tell us it's harwin right well, because brienne doesn't know who he is uh brienne doesn't know who a lot of those guys are right and we get their names don't after we after they after they say who they are uh, maybe right. uh, anyway it's it's less than clear who that guy is and it uh-huh. could be hal it could be harwin mm-hmm. harwin could have been sent by catelyn that's the one a... i that's the one i liked before I read the Howl one, and I still right. like a lot. Right, and I, Go ahead. I think I think Lady Gwyn thinks it's Harwin. Um, there's an argument to be made for it. It's 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 frankly the reasons are very similar to the to the Howl Mullen reasons. Yeah. He knows the North. He knows Theon. Um, you know, he, he's a capable rider and could have got there quickly. Got there perhaps. quickly. Yeah, he's a good um, rider. Yeah. You know, he knows. He knows. He grew up there. He knows the area. They're the same reasons for Hal. It's just a two two sides of maybe the same argument. To add to um, that, he's one of the last people to see Arya in close quarters. And if he's told Lady Stoneheart that, yeah, I saw right. I saw Arya like a year ago. And if she finds out, she hears this news that Ramsay Bolton is marrying Arya Stark. Go verify. Yes, yeah, Harwin would probably be the first person to think of for the reasons you outlined. He's a good writer. Right. He's familiar with Winterfell, and he's the last person that's seen Arya. Right. Exactly. Um. So, 
the other two theories that I saw that I hadn't read a bunch about before, but I think I'd heard one of them. One one is Robert Glover, who had mm-hmm. been trying to raise men for uh, at at White Harbor, but wasn't having much luck. Um, but is probably allied with with Manderley in a, in a way after a fashion. Um, and we haven't heard anything from him since that. Right. We don't yep. know what he's doing, and he he's would, trying to raise troops. And he would certainly recognize. Uh, recognize Theon and mm-hmm. uh, would be a good option. Um, the other one, and this was the most interesting one, um, Moore's Umber. Okay. Now this is, it's admittedly out there. It's it's out there. It's way out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Cantus, which we've, uh, I don't know if it's Cantus or Cantus, I don't know, but he has a theory. If you just Google uh, Cantus hooded, hooded manuals, you'll find it. Um it's out there, but he does a really good job of like defending it and kind of like laying out logically why he thinks it could be. Um, but basically, he believes that the Risewell man was not, in fact, uh, a Risewell retainer. It was Roger Risewell himself, and he is using Mance's glamour that Mel gave him to appear as Roger Risewell. Okay, and is why? pretending to be... What's that? Okay. Oh, sorry, I'll let you finish. To sow discontent, to be able to do all these murders and create this anarchy and mislead and misdirect everything that's happening, if you're looking for motive, right? Uh, within the walls of Winterfell. And... Uh, I won't I won't lay out the whole thing, but it's pretty interesting. Go go look it up if if you're interested. Uh he, he mm. defends it pretty well. Um Why but, but why would Mance one give the, him the glamour? Uh because Mance Mance wants wants help sowing chaos as well. Okay. M- Mance and the washerwomen are doing these murders, right? And it's implied they that use, they are. It's implied that they are. Well they admit it later. Uh, sort of they say they did all well, I think they later say they did all of them except Walder. Um, they, they say they, that one wasn't us. They say, yeah, they say this was no work of ours. Right. I looked it up because I wanted implying to be sure. that, Implying that they've done other work. Right, that the other but, work was ours. And they say there's blood right. on, uh, Rowan later says there's blood on my hands, but not of brothers. So, so, uh, so the idea is that if you reread the chapter... Roger Risewell is just kind of poo-pooing every, every kind of supposed yes, he was just uh, theory out there. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, And also that the face has been removed from from this Risewell supporter, right, to the point where it's he's unrecognizable. Yeah, the dogs had gotten to him. Right, and anyway, it's it's uh it's pretty interestingly supported, uh, all the way down to like. The language that the that the hooded man uses is similar to language Moore's Umber already uses in re, in referring to Theon, um, and he he posing as Roger uses language that's very similar to how Moore's Umber talks about Wyman Manderley uh, when when he's being proposed to to build ships with Wyman Manderley he refers to him in very derogatory similar ways as he talks about the hour long squats here. Um, it, it's it's interesting. I mean, it's out there. It's it's for sure a little bit tinfoily, but I was I was intrigued for sure. I'm not sure I believe it, but I like it. It's fun. Okay, all right. Yeah, it's out there. Yeah. 
Okay. Uh, there's, of course, the Theon Durden theory, which is just that Theon is imagining the hooded man completely. I, he doesn't I found exist. that one kind of compelling. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. It's. Uh, yeah. Would be. I mean, we don't. We don't get a lot of that from George. That kind of thing. That kind of psychological game, right? Sure. Well, I mean, seriously, a little bit is, you know, going a little crazy, but not like talking to herself or like. Seeing people anyway. that aren't there and stuff. Yeah. I mean, we don't get a lot of that from George, I don't think. But anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything else on Hooded Man you want to go through? Nope. Okay. I think we've covered the big ones. I think there's some uh, Blackfish supporters out there, too, that think it might be the Blackfish. Blackfish, Benjen, Septon Chael. Uh, Septon Chael was noted as a strong swimmer. He was struck uh, when Theon took Winterfell and then thrown into a well. Yeah. But maybe he swam and maybe there's some secret passage. Oh, who knows? Who knows? Freaking Howland Reed. But basically, Howland, Howland Reed, Reed and Benjen Stark have to be at the point of any identity type theory so you gotta have yeah. those they're your token guys yep 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 <laughs> maybe it's quaith yeah quaith is benjen though so it's yeah, all she's right. just all of them yeah all right well we are just about to hit three hours i think uh should we call it we already talked about the aria training stuff i think enough we have talked about the aria it feels like there was one more that i was looking into that we didn't talk about no oh that's it that's it we can find it that's it we covered it all. Oh, the Winterfell's Gate stuff. Did you have anything for that? Um, not much more than what's already there. Uh, I did find it interesting that they pay so much attention to describing all of the gates, specifically yeah. the Battlements Gate, which is a gate that's on the inner wall of Winterfell that gives access to the outer wall, but not beyond. Um, yep. I thought that colluded nicely with what we talked about two episodes ago with Bran knowing about all the secret entrances and stuff into Winterfell and that battlements gate could come in could come in handy uh, right they jort but admittedly just so I'm not fitting in the theory with what I want it to be admittedly excuse me I'll edit that out uh, the battlements gate becomes necessary in the next chapter the Theon chapter with the Jane escape. So he could have mm-hmm. just been giving us all this gate information for uh, that for, to set up for, for Theon and Jane's escape. Right. So, but he does okay. go to lengths to say the hunter's gate is recently used. So it could be opened. The main gate is frozen over. It cannot be opened. There's a battle. Right. He like goes through each gate and describes its condition. And I can't help but think that that information may be useful uh, the upcoming battle, if there is one, at Winterfell. Right. Okay. Well, I think uh, we can call it a night then. Okay. For that. Are uh, you ready to sign off? I am. So, uh, no one had no tears. It's kind of an oddly worded sentence, but I liked mm. that from Arya. No one who is her had no tears. Just made me think of Bob Dylan with No Woman, No Cry. So this is Matt signing off with a line from that great song. In this great future, you can't forget your past. So dry your tears. I say unto my peeps who passed away, no woman, no cry. Good night, guys. Mm. And mine is uh, <laughs> from the John chapter. 
the underutilized, criminally underutilized Owen the Oaf, mm-hmm. uh, in response to being told that there is wine being molded with cloves and cinnamon. <laughs> What's cloves? What's cloves? I'm with him. What the fuck is cloves? Good night, everybody. It's your homework. Good night, everybody. Night, Skeddy. Night. Hey fellas, how's it going tonight? Uh, I'm not even ready. Hey guys, how's it going tonight? Uh, let's talk about what we're covering this week. Oh, you laughed. Sorry. <laughs> I guess I could just all, mute that. Should we take it all the way back? <sighs> nope, we're good. All right. Hey. Hey Blood Riders, time to give credit where credit is due. Three songs we used on this episode. The first is Blind as a Bat by Meatloaf. That's from uh, his album, Bad Out of Hell 3, The Monster is Loose. Uh, next, we used um, Our Whole Lives by one of my favorite bands. We use them all the time here on the podcast, The Hold Steady, from their latest album, Teeth Dreams, which is now like four years old. So they're due for a new one, if you ask me. And then finally, the closeout music was the infamous No Woman, No Cry. I had originally said on the cast that it was Bob Dylan. That's because I've always got Bob Dylan on my mind. But uh, it was it's, of course, by Bob Marley, not by Bob Dylan. Uh, the version I used was taken from his very famous album, Legend. It's the one that everybody has. It's like their staple Bob Marley album that you got to own. But uh, good reason for it. Anyways... Hope you guys enjoyed it and hope you guys enjoyed the whole cast and we can't wait to bring you the next one. So stay savage, Blood Riders. Mm-hmm.